you have done so much for black America. Uh, I saw or I heard on the way in uh, the record, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And I know uh, releasing a record like that in the 60s, it had to cost you a lot of money. It cost me a lot of money because I, I grew up with blacks, uh, not well, being ashamed to say they were black. I think one of the worst things you could have said to me when I was a kid to say you're black. It was a fighting piece. And today, yeah. so I felt that, you know, why live with a, a stigma that uh, really doesn't mean anything? So say it loud and black and proud of something I had to do. And, and I, I'm glad I did. Hey, we, we, we thank you for doing that. No, no, we, no, we, 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 we thank God. We thank God for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Jackson Estate Podcast. We are the EST of Michael Jackson Podcast, the realest, the blackest, and the baddest, and that is respectfully submitted. Welcome to a new season of the show. This is season five, and we're super excited to get things started off in Black History Month. Maybe our favorite month, maybe not our favorite, but definitely in the top three. We got some special guests today, but first, let me check in with the users. User 1.5, how you doing? It's Black History Month to be young, gifted, and black. It's a good day. I'm doing well. How y'all doing? Doing fantastic. And you're right, to be young, gifted, and black. I just finally watched Wakanda Forever, and they shouted out that. That's some Nina Simone, real quick. And um, I thought it was pretty cool. User 2, where you at? What it do? Oh, what a Friday, guys. Living for the city, as Stevie would say. Um, <laughs> love the Nina Simone shout out. Never hesitate to remind people, Nina Simone is from North Carolina. We really have a great bench. Just Oh, it's, it's deep. We it's deep. deep. That's, that's true. Jordan and Nina Simone, I don't think we can be deep, to be quite honest. Uh, oh, man. We, get, oh, we got a goat in the house? Yeah, nah. You can't really touch goat. us. Yeah. And what's funny is that gives us a nice segue into one of our guests who is from the Carolina to the South. No, and there was one, it was one colony, right? Then they split it and we came about, but they are the original, right? That's correct. Uh, US, yes, the lost US, colony. U.S. history. <laughs> Good Lord, yeah. Is that the, what they taught uh, you? Is that what Wake County Public Schools taught you? Probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was definitely I mean, Wake whatever. County. Whatever. Here we are with none other. You guys know, um, first of all, you guys are terrible. I'm like, guess who it is? And of course, somebody guessed it. Dr. Green, a big member of the MJ fam and Jan fam. Are you there? I am here, and I hear you loud and clear. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> and yeah, Welcome. I definitely currently live in South Carolina, but I'm a California native, if that's for sure. Really? But, um, yeah, I am. I was uh, born uh, and raised in California, but I uh, live here in uh, South Carolina. Listen, he is one of us now. How long have you been in South Carolina? Long enough to pick up this accent. Uh, <laughs> for, for sure, I hear it. <laughs> um, I have a follow-up. No, I was going to say, I've been here uh, since about uh, 1999. Oh, yeah, you live, live here. Here's another thing for your listeners and, you know, for you guys as well. You never visit a visit at Charleston. You've got to come visit Charleston. Charleston is not like the rest of the South, if you will. It's not like the rest of South Carolina, even. With Charleston, you're getting very diverse culture. You're getting a... Um, you're getting a history lesson just by walking the street in Charleston. Cause you know, I mean, Charleston has, is very steeped in uh, history. And you know, if you haven't been, you got to go it's such a beautiful city. It absolutely is. I was in another county here in South Carolina called Greenwood. And I went there to go pick up my friend and, you know, we did a little bit of drinking and, you know, uh, did you know the things that friends do? And so I went to go pick her up. You know, she was at she was she was staying in the small house 
on this old plantation now. It's hardly a plantation. It, 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 like, it doesn't look like the old South plantation or whatever. The house does, but not the actual land. However, it, you know, it was this house, this huge house. And, you know, I, I, I'm driving down this uh, dirt road. And then I finally get to the house. I'm like, good Lord, this house is big. You know, like, I mean, by big, I mean, it was probably about 6,000 square feet, maybe 6,500 square feet. You know, uh, so I'm driving down this road and then I see this house. I'm like, okay, so I'll pick her up. And then in order to turn around, you had to drop down, drop down a bit and turn around. And as I was turning around, I saw a couple of old rotten wooden buildings. I'm like, good Lord, where are those? And then, I, and then like, I, I jokingly said that these must be uh, slave quarters. And sure enough, that's exactly what they were. And, you know, I'm just like, oh my yeah. God, I feel real bad. You know, one for, yeah. you know, joking like that or whatever. And uh, two, the fact that, you know, they were just that, but I mean, you know, it had, it had a bunch of overgrowth on it and, you know, uh, when my friend confirmed exactly that, that's exactly what they were. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how can you even live on this uh, property, mm -hmm. whatever? But, yeah. you know, I mean, for some people, like some people, they don't have the options that you and I have or whatever. And, you know, like they do the best that they can and, you know, so on and so forth. Now, the family, they, so the family uh, whose house she was living in, they used to own, they used to own her family. Oh my God. The family whose house uh, she was living in. Yeah. Wow. And, That's you know, a plot twist. Yeah. It, it certainly is. And, you know, like they've been given reparations by this family and so on and so forth. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it, it's time not to get off subject a little bit, but it's time that that's considered at a federal level, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it should be. And you heard it here. If y'all want to add me on that, do. And I will respond to that. That's a that's a that's a real thing. Don't get into that. But you know what I thought you were gonna say, uh, Doctor Green. I thought you were gonna say I turned around and I saw a ghost. And let me tell you why I thought you were gonna say that. Because you know they give plantation ghost tours, right? Which I think oh, is yeah. just the weirdest yeah. thing. In Charleston, <laughs> I do in Charleston, do that. like they give these ghost tours, like. There's the ghost of a slave here. And I'm like, really? But has That's what anybody we're doing? ever really seen a ghost on the ghost tours? Not really. It's always I after have. the fact that they were looking at pictures or something. User two like, has. I definitely did, seen one. Did you know? And what do was that ghost trying to do? That, or do you want to save that for the Halloween? Episode? Save that for Halloween. Let's save it for spooky season. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but Dr. I have Green. A story about uh, a ghost or what have you. So uh, so there's another old town in um, South Carolina. It's called Abbeville. Abbeville has a lot of historic homes and so on and so forth. Now, Abbeville also has active, like, Ku Klux Klan members as well. But, uh, you know, like, I mean, you know, when you visit the South, Abbeville is one of those old South town, Southern towns, right? There was a friend of mine, she was sitting in a, like, uh, she was sitting in a car um, and she was waiting on her friend because her friend, uh, what she does or whatever is that, you know, like she would, uh, you know, like she would cater to certain events and so on and so forth, like, you know, a food caterer. And, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, she was there picking up her friend. My friend was there picking up her friend. While doing so, on like the third floor window you know she said that she kept uh seeing this image now you know those old masquerade masks that you hold with your hand or whatever mm -hmm. that you put to your face or whatever you know mm -hmm. she said that you know like man like what were they having a masquerade party you know like it, you know is that the type of thing that she was catering to and uh you know, a couple of images walked by and then, you know, there were some kids and the kids were knocking on the window, you know, in their mask and everything. When her friend finally gets to the car, you know, like, you know, my friend asked, you know, she was like, 
what were you guys having a masquerade party? And you know, like, you know, why are there people on the third floor? And she's like, no one's on the third floor. It's just me and a couple of other people in there. And we were all in the kitchen downstairs mm. on the third floor. And I'm, and you know, like when she told me that, I slightly believed it or whatever. So because I'm a, I mean, I it, it's just one of those towns and one of those houses. So yeah, you know what? We've got some stories too. We'll have to tell you those another time. But I believe it, and that's when I would. That leave. sounds that's like my the plot exit. to ghosts. Yeah, that it's sounds my like the plot out. to the short film ghosts, literally. But I'm gonna let y'all. That is wild. Yeah, I think I'd be out. That's time for me to go. And like y'all can stay. But I, I'll be leaving because there's other things here and I don't want any parts to it. But um, yeah, lots of old history in the South. Some of it very rich and very interesting to learn. Some of it very sad, which is what Dr. Green was getting to, looking at how slavery in the South really affected these real humans, right? Enslaved people. And it was a, a, a tragic sort of piece of American history. But if you ever are in South Carolina, MJ fam, definitely visit Charleston. And if Dr. Green has 15 minutes for a coffee or a burger, hit him up. He might be in a trap. So we like that. And that's what we're going to do when we're in South Carolina. We're going to be like, okay, let's go get these drinks and burgers and wings. You know how we do with wings. And crab legs. And crab, ooh. Yes, crab legs and wings, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So let let me ask you this. I said on Twitter, we got a special guest. You know, I think Damien jumped in. Damien was being funny. I think someone else jumped in and said, is it Dr. Green? I just love him so much with his big, strong arms and muscles. (laughs) <laughs> or something like that that is it's high the, praise it's the dr green fan club we, we we're, we're here for it man let me tell you how angry i was i hit him up i was like for real though like you're like the first person they're thinking about like it's funny that we've had so many people people say can y'all get this person to come on the show can you get this person to come on your show you were definitely in the mix but it's just so funny that once i said you know can you guess who it is you were the first serious contender out the gate so welcome welcome we're glad to have you because we know your fan club is happy to hear you on this podcast oh thanks a bunch thanks a bunch (laughs) um i think that they probably assumed me because ultimately you know like uh the subject matter that you said your show was going to be about and you know like i mean i don't have a filter you know i'm certainly you know a proud black man and you know, it's something that, you know, they're like, it must be Andrew or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, get out of here with this. I was like, I'm sure he's blushing right now. Like, you're just so much high praise. But what we didn't tell them was we had a second, because we didn't know at the time, we have a second special guest whom no one guessed. And I have a theory why, but I'll, I'll share that with what's, you guys later. I was going to say, what's your I was, theory? Right, I was going to say, what's the theory? <laughs> well, so I, first I want to say, I want to introduce this person because we're super excited and very grateful that he took some time out of his schedule to join us. Mr. Taj Jackson is also on the show today. Taj, you there? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're fantastic and we're really excited and honestly a bit surprised that you're here with us, but we're really happy about it. I'm Don't not surprised. Hope- As someone who used to have your picture in their locker, I feel like this is a full circle <laughs> moment. Are you going there right now? I, <laughs> I mean, wow. let's be honest. Let's be clear. Okay. We were big 3T fans. So Listen, she's 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 telling all the secrets, which you know, she <laughs> why lie about it? fangirling right now. <laughs> why lie about it? It's funny because Taj, we we have had so much to say about you on our podcast. We honestly thought you wouldn't come. It was like if he has ever gotten whiff of some of the things we've said, maybe he would be disinterested. Although we haven't said anything 
um, at least we hope not, that is disrespectful. We've said any things that are that are honest um, from our perspective, but we said, oh, he's, he's not coming. So when we reached out to Dr. Green, we were very shocked, but we're so happy you're here because we about to all be family at the end of this show. And, right. um, <laughs> and we're excited <laughs> to have you. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I, I feel honored that you guys um, invited me and that I'm allowed to be on the show. And, and I'm, I have a lot of fun, you know, in that way. I've, I've heard your podcast before, so I know how you guys roll with it. So you know, <laughs> well, a lot you. of fun. So. Yeah. Listen, you're going to get added a bunch. So many people say, can y'all get Taj to come? They'll send us messages and they'll say, Taj should come on y'all show. Can you get Taj to come on the show? Or, you know, Taj got to say, can, can you ask Taj? And we're like, we don't got him in our back pocket, but okay. <laughs> you know, Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll try. So we appreciate you. And I know the Michael Jackson fan community who listens to this podcast also will appreciate you being on the show. So we're excited. Let's get things started. Today's episode, Black History Month Spotlight, is all about Michael Jackson's dance teachers and influences. Mm. And we're excited to get into that because there's some names up here on our list that everybody knows about. There are others that we hope you'll learn something new about and have a different appreciation for. So let's get into it. We're going to start off our show since we have some special guests today. As we always do when we have special guests, except for, I think, Steve Knopper. He did not do, we didn't do the trivia with him. We didn't have time. We're going to do some Michael Jackson trivia slash Black History Month trivia. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is kind of like, uh, what's that show that used to come on back in the day where you can phone a friend, you can ask, well, ask for some help? The Weakest Link. The Weakest Link. Oh, you can ask the audience. to be a millionaire? Oh, yeah. That's it. To be a millionaire, you have the lifeline. Yeah. This is our version, the Black Jackson Estate version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> It's Michael Jackson trivia version and Black History Month. I'm going to start this one off with, you know, if your name gets called, you know, like they say, come to the altar. Dr. Green, this is all you. This is a Black History Month question. This man became the first man, the second African-American to run for president of the United States. He was born in Greenville, South Carolina and graduated from none other than the North Carolina A&T State University located in Greensboro, North Carolina. Who is that man? Let's see. That is the second African American to run for president. Uh huh. Uh, that is um, Jesse Jackson. Oh, Jesse Jackson is the correct answer. He ran for president in 1984. I believe his campaign slogan was "Keep Hope Alive." That's right. It sure was. Keep Hope Alive. It bonus points if anyone knows who the first African American to run for president of the United States was. Shirley Chisholm. Michelle, unbought and unbossed. Yeah. She is unbought. And I read that book. It changed my life. Wasn't it Frederick Douglass? Did he run, run? Oh, I mean, he might have run in like a few. No, not the fusion party. That was the clan. <laughs> Maybe uh. the, <laughs> the old brand of the Republican Party. I'm literally in the middle of a Civil War reconstruction Jesus. podcast. And Dr. Green asked me this. This is too much pressure. <laughs> we're going to give Freddie an asterisk. He might have been the first first, but we're going to give in modern times. Shirley Chisholm, who a lot of politicians have given so much credit to the now minority speaker. Right. He gave he gave a shout out because he's from the same district. Right. Is he representing the same district she represented? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Kahe- What's his name? Kareem. What's his name? Wait, would you just. Oh, What's are you talking about uh, Hakeem Jeffries? <laughs> That's him. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about Hakeem. I was like, Hakeem. Yeah. <laughs> Kareem. <laughs> Kareem. <laughs> Congressman <laughs> Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> oh, the light-skinned man with a bald head. Um, oh, wow. 
Don't yeah. do my caucus like that. Yeah, he 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 shouted her out. Hillary Clinton has shouted her out. So many politicians have really credited her with how they got to. So at the end of the day, Barack Obama, everybody, you know, you build on shoulders, you sit on shoulders. So Shirley just wait. Like, how did everything. Jesse Jackson end up in Michael Jackson trivia? Because he a Jackson. He ain't a Jackson Jackson. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because he was consulting with Michael. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was, you know, he's a family consultant. He was like in the mix. Definitely was. Next question. This one's going to go to Tosh because it's kind of hard. And so I feel like Tosh should have it because it's a Michael question. Oh, Um, (laughs) Michael Jackson got sued many times in his life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he got sued and he didn't know what in the world was going on. I ain't even, I don't even know these people because he was just, he had a lot of money. So everybody's trying to get a, a bite at the apple, right? So in 1985, he actually got sued. And there was a guy who said, said he stole my song. The girl is mine. It's actually my song. Michael Jackson actually went and took the witness stand. Y'all can believe it. And so, you know, this was a spectacle. Everybody at this point just want to see the guy. 1985, he's at the height. Michael Jackson, during his testimony, said that the girl is mine. That song, he said, I wrote it. Like Tina Turner said, she said, I wrote it. I said, I wrote it. Okay. And it shares the same chords as other songs I've written. Name one of the songs he quoted in his testimony that shares the same chords as The Girl Is Mine. Dang. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I I can probably think of the chords and think of a song. One out there, Tosh, because listen, no one, no, I wouldn't have got this if I didn't just find it. Like, somewhere. what kind of, what this kind of, it's an education question. It's an education question. And let's be clear, Tosh, this happens regularly. <laughs> when does we do this. Oh, don't worry. I, I don't mind not getting Michael Jackson trivia right in that That's way. That's okay. You guys all know. No more, way more than I do when it comes to the, you know. Guess, the guess, guess a song. Just guess one. I don't even. I have no clue. I know the chords of um, "Girl Is Mine." I'm trying to think of a song. So obviously, is it a Jackson mm-hmm. song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, "Girl Is Mine" definitely has those chords of something that. Way. You know what he said? I'm gonna let you phone a friend. Me, I'm the friend. He said it's that's what you get for being polite. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Why can't I be? And thank you for life. I thought that was really interesting because I tried to hear that those chords and that's um, what you get for being polite. Is definitely yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear it. I hear it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gee whiz, where did you did you go find the deposition? <laughs> I mean, really, no. this no, is I like didn't the, find the deposition. from eighty five. What the level what of level research of she had to do? <laughs> oh my god, this is like when West I said. Law. When I said that Queen of the Night was, had the Michael Jackson Dirty Diana sample in it, and everybody was like, WTF, where did you find that? Like, she did that level of digging. Yeah, I thought that. that was just cool, though. Like, first of all, they tried to pin him down on So you can't read music. He was like, no. Okay. I hear it in my head. I do the dot, 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 dot it. I tell them, I put it on the tape. Okay. That's exactly how he literally was breaking it down. I know they was in there taking notes. Like, I know the, the man who lied about the song was in there taking notes. Like, okay, so that's what I need to do next time. Get it right. <laughs> I actually remember listening to that episode, by the way, where uh, you revealed that Queen of Night sampled Dirty Diana. And here's the thing Whitney Houston is, you know, like one of my favorite singers of all time. And Michael Jackson is my favorite artist of all time. And I never put two and two together. I never knew that. And the trivia from that episode blew my mind, just like this trivia here, you know, because that question you asked Todd, I had no clue. I'm like, 
<laughs> if he gets it, then okay, more power to him. <laughs> yeah, at least we asked the musician to figure it out. Good lord. Oh, the the f- funny fact about that is my dad was my dad wrote that's what you get for being polite with with Michael. Um, even though all five brothers were credited, um, so I should have got that answer right. Listen, let's go Papa Tito team. time. Let's, let's go. go Tito time. Let's go. Yeah, back Listen. back then they didn't separate um, who wrote what in certain albums. They didn't separate it. So just by default, it would say the Jacksons or would just name all of them. But there are certain songs like Destiny that my dad wrote with Michael solely, um, but never got credited. And that's why that guitar solo is so long. Thank you, Taj. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's why you can kind of tell with certain songs because they have something in it, you know, in that way that just, you know, that is memorable. We always knew Tito was the one. We We knew Tito was the one. When he came out, with, when he did Big Leg Woman on that last album, you know, that's how uh, yes. Oh, yeah, we talked about that one first. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you can tell your dad he is welcome to come up. First, he don't remember meeting us. We was uh, we, we ran up on him anyway at a show. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> tell him he can come on. We'll, we'll refresh his memory. We got the pictures. We got the pictures. <laughs> All right, user 1.5. I think it's your turn. You ready? Listen, don't come at me with no negative energy. I've already done my meditation <laughs> for today. This is All some right. black history trivia, so let's see okay. if we can get it going. All right, All right let's born, go. born a super Capricorn baby. All super Capricorn energy over here, baby. Oh, born okay. January 7th, 1891. She was an American writer, prominent during the Harlem Renaissance, a social critic, an anthropologist, and a filmmaker in 1928. She famously said, sometimes I feel discriminated against, but it does not make me angry. It merely astonishes me. How can any deny themselves the pleasure of my company? It's beyond me. Jesus. What year did she say that? Phone me if you want to. Phone me. Phone me. Ooh, that was in 1928. That was 1928. I was not here. Okay, let's see. Hit him with Um, the shoulders. Hit him with the shoulders. Okay, so my first guess, just because you said Harlem Renaissance, would be Lorraine Hansberry. It's a good guess. That's actually a really good guess. That's not correct. It's a no? But it's a good guess. That's a no. Um, I don't... I don't know. So I guess I'm going to phone Ashley. Oh, now I'm feeling less confident. Listen... (laughs) Don't, how are you going to tell me to phone you and then you're not prepared to right. be phone? No. You did say pass the ball. You said pass and, the ball. And here was my thought. The AP history curriculum that Ron DeSantis is currently showing. Don't oh do God. this, please. Please don't do this. You know, this is probably in that textbook. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> let's Okay, oh, who is it, Ashley? It's not so the Hansberry. Okay, okay, I have a guess, but now I'm like, how does this connect? Like, I feel like that's a Joseph. I feel like Josephine Baker would connect to Michael. It's just black okay. It doesn't. It's just black trivia. Okay. No, he wasn't there in 28. He wasn't in there. No, I'm just saying. Like, okay. Anyway, is it Eartha Kitt? (laughs) Eartha Kitt. I'm way off. Ashley, I'm not phoning you ever again. Just know. I will never call you again. You are off my list. I feel like that's a joke. Like, that's giving me Josephine Baker in her when she, you know, went to France and was like, F y'all and y'all can keep my passport. She did say Uh, that. um, Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. Who was it? That's That's a good question. Santa, baby. That it ain't her. But I, I was gonna say it. that's Eartha. I feel like I'm gonna play Eartha Kid in the background for that. Um, so was I right or wrong? You were definitely you were wrong. wrong. That fine. is the incomparable. You all know her, Miss Zora Neal. Oh my Hurston. gosh! Ooh, duh. Their eyes were watching God, Zora Neale Hurst. Oh, that's one of my favorite books, too. Okay, well, yeah, I'm sorry, Miss Zora. I didn't know. I didn't know. Way off. 
Yep, that was published in her 1928 essay called How It Feels to Be Colored Me in the journal The World Tomorrow. She had a lot of swag. That 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 quote is just oof. How can you deny just, yourself? I'm just thankful you can't take my black card regardless because nah, these are kind of good. Oh, that one was kind of easy. Okay, this one is for Dr. Green. What yeah, you got? more questions, guys. All right, you ready? Yep. All right, LeBron James recently became the NBA's all-time leading scorer. What NBA player's record did he break to achieve this? Okay. Um, sure for all time, he broke Kareem's record. It was Kareem's. That is correct. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. How tall is that dude? He's like he's like over seven feet, ain't he? Mm-hmm. I thought that record was an unbeatable record, to be honest with you. But when uh, James kept getting closer and closer and closer to that record, I'm like, yeah, he's still playing. He's going to pass it. So, but yeah, I was I was surprised. You know what's funny? So a bunch of people were like, okay, put it in perspective. And they're right. But we also, I think LeBron just deserves his props. They were like, okay, well, when Kareem was playing, they didn't have the three-point line. LeBron has over 2,000 threes in his career. Obviously, that's going to get you quicker to the number than if not. And then they start bringing up all these other little nuances about the game that have changed. And so they were like, oh. and I was like, okay, agree in respect. But for this era and for what LeBron's been, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. But yeah, he is Did now. Kareem play in a pandemic? I mean, come on. If we're he played in American racism in the, in the 60s. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. Different, environment, mm-hmm. different environment. Yeah, different environment. Yeah, different environment. I'm just talking about environmental features. Because <laughs> Kareem, st- <laughs> Kareem started in the, the American Basketball Association, right? That's where the black players were before the NBA integrated. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, come on. Now you're testing Kareem. Whole nother story. Whole nother story. Okay, good job. All right, Taj, we got another Michael Jackson trivia question right, for you. Here we go. Okay. All right, here we go. I got faith. Y'all got faith? Keep the faith. I, I don't have faith. Go ahead. Keep hope alive. We're right. We, we're going to channel Jesse. Okay. Tosh said he don't have faith. <laughs> he, he's got this one, y'all. Y'all just need to pray. All right. This song was written by Michael Jackson and Randy Jackson. It's the first track on the Jackson's Triumph album. It reached number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number two on the Black Charts. What song is that released in September of 1980? Dang. Um... They wrote a lot of songs together. I don't know my album track list. I would assume. Ooh, ooh, there's another Gosh, one. Just please get this right, because I feel like you're in the video. Please get. I know I'm in the video, but that's not. But the problem is, is there's another history part about that aspect of it. Are you? Ta- you if you're talk- talking about, can you feel it? Um, no, wait, hold on, Triumph. Yeah, can you feel it? You're right. Triumph number one is, can you feel it? Because I was thinking, but Shake Your Body is not, I don't even know what albums are what on what in that way. What, what album Shake Your Body on? Shake Your Body is on, that's the same album. Is right? that on, is it on, it's, it's on, on it's on Destiny. It's on Destiny. Oh, it's on Destiny. Yeah. Dang, okay. It's on that's, Destiny. It's on Destiny. It's on Destiny. Listen, and get, listen, you off the hot seat. That's it. Yeah. That was hard. Well, I, well, I think I think Jackie's a secret writer on Can You Feel It as well. That's why it threw me off. Right? And you know what? I think I might have got my writers wrong. I think that's Jackie. I think that lovely one is Michael and Randy. It's Michael and Jackie. You're yeah, right. That, that's, that's what you that's need. That's what threw me off. Sorry about that. Uh, you need No, that's on me. You need a family for us. Thank that's you, right. You need, you need a family member to redeem things. That's Michael and Jackie. I was confused, too. I was, no. like, I was like, but, you know, <laughs> Michael and Randy wrote a lot together, so that's they why did. I was like, 
I'm and like, you this. know what? This is what I get for not double checking. That's from a book, and I'm gonna blast the writer on the next episode. Oh, which book? I took that from okay. a book, and I should have double checked because this is easy Google stuff. But you're right, Taj. Absolutely. Can you feel it, Michael and Jackie? Lovely one, Michael and Randy. Which one is your favorite out of those two songs? Um, d- well, definitely. Can you feel? Can you feel it has a, a certain spark for me, especially since it started the Victory Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That song will always be, um, besides me being in the video, as someone hinted out. Uh, besides all that, yeah, that song just it 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 still bangs for what it for what it is, and and you could play that right now. Also, there's just like I mean, it, from marching bands to anything, you can hear that oh, song. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, Didn't it? It, it, it made an it made an appearance in Drumline. If I'm not tripping, wasn't that? Yeah, I think it did. did. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like it's universal in that way. Yeah, oh, Kirk Franklin did the video too, right? Mm-hmm. He did. Recently. Oh yeah, yeah. Kirk remixed it or whatever he did to. Yeah, that was that took oh, us yeah, to church. Remix. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, listen. It's worth well, the listen. Uh, every HBCU in the country can play that song at the drop of a dime. <laughs> and did they add that? Um, what was it? The, the like the remix version, that recent one. I mean, I didn't hear it. I've only heard it once, but it had. It had Martin Luther King and Obama in it. Mr. Speeches. That's the Kirk Franklin one because it was like oh, all Kirk of Franklin. those people oh. on one. That is. Oh, that's, uh, Kirk, a that's power. a Kirk Franklin one. Okay, I didn't know that. That's what it was labeled. Yeah. Todd, yeah, can you tell us what the Victory Tour meant to you? Because uh, we, I always hear you reference the Victory Tour. Like, uh, was that just a real fun time for you? For you? You know, I was finally old enough to actually realize the impact. Uh, when the Triumph Tour, the 80, you know, the 7980 tour, I was still a little kid, but I would see everyone screaming for, for my dad and uncles. There was, you know, they broke a record at the LA Forum. And so there was all these celebrities there. Magic was there pretty much every day. And so I knew it was a big deal in terms of that, but you don't realize how big of a deal it is. And then when the Victory Tour hit, it was, you know, it was those seven nights, I think, at Dodger Stadium that they sold out. Everyone, all my friends, even my teachers, they were all there. <laughs> you know, it was like, that's when you know, like when your teachers are, you know, kind of shy to ask you for tickets, but they know they better ask you for tickets. <laughs> so it was one of those things that I just, so it hit, it was just a little different of a memory in that way. And it's just, I mean, they were, I, I think that what it represented too, just the brothers together, their way it's like all that time, all that rehearsal, all all those years of working together, and then this is the reward. Point you better got an A, Taj. You better got an A. Right. Like, I did better I, have given if I hook you time up with off and everything. To like the show of the year, and I'm a child, and I scored this for you, teacher lady, ma'am. <laughs> I was getting. I, I don't want to say. I was. I, I was getting good grades anyway, so probably wouldn't have. It wasn't going to help me in that way. I didn't okay. really. Um, well, tell her put an extra plus on it. <laughs> I was going to say that. That's what I, I should have <laughs> negotiated for. Um, but one yeah, of those scratch and sniff stickers. You should <laughs> ask for like extra lunchtime or something. Like, let me I need get, let me lunch it. into teacher's lounge, okay? Oh, oh, <laughs> if I was older, I probably would have realized that's what I probably could have done. But I was just, <laughs> you know, I think I was I was like 11 or 12 during the victory tour. That's crazy you say my, uh, Magic Johnson, because he talks about your family so often, even to this day, like, 
he really loves loves you guys like and he remembers so fondly the times where you guys where you know he spent a lot of times with your uncles and with your father he he speaks about it a lot on social media anytime he's on like a podcast or sometimes he just randomly <laughs> starts talking about it so that's kind of cool that he you know he has so much love for you guys even to this day yeah he um he's a staple of my life in terms of just he was there at every show and um, just around the family a lot and hung around Havenhurst a lot. So he was more than just someone that we watched on TV. Like he actually would come by and hang out at the house and stuff like that. And, you know, there's certain celebrities that even they were so close to the family that they even knew the, the nephews and nieces and he was one of them. So when I would see him separately, he would come and say hi and all that stuff. So it was, you know, it was always something special. But magic's always been something special. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that, Taj. We got one more question. We're going to kick it to user 2 and user 1.5. Y'all can answer this jointly. Y'all can put your I don't want to be together. I don't want to be on this with her. This is it. I don't want right? to be on with her this at is, all. This is it. Yes. This is the it. final curtain call for okay. MJ Ashley, Trivia. Ashley, right. redeem yourself. Redeem yourself. This is a Michael Jackson question, okay? And it is not about the music, so just you've been warned. Oh, God. But I need you to put on your water snob hats to think about the answer to this. So water? Michael Bush... I don't know what that means. Water. Water. Okay. Water. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So in Michael Bush's book, The King of Style Dressing Michael Jackson, he said Michael Jackson drank water by the gallon, which... Dear <laughs> listeners, is an important thing to do. It okay. is. Right. Take a gallon a day, baby. It's going to clear up your skin. It's going to help make you regular. If you're having problems with regularity. It's going to flush you, talk. It's going to flush you, baby. Yeah. A gallon a day will flush you. I don't care what you got in your system. I don't know what you do. I don't care what you eat. I don't care how many McDoubles you order. It's going to flush you. Okay. You hope. You hope. I hope. <laughs> because we also don't know what's in them patties. Okay. So he said in his book, Michael drank water by the gallon. Before Michael arrived at a hotel, accommodations would have to be made with the staff to ensure he had five to 10 cases of this brand of luxury Avion. water. That's it. Is it Avion? Okay. That's the it answer. Is. Yeah. That, that is the only Michael Jackson. That's really the uh, only acceptable answer. No, what I was going to say is that's the only thing from Michael Jackson's lifestyle that I can afford to maintain. The Evian. That's can literally you know? it. I, first... I can't can't do the vases. Can't do the Vegas vases. Listen, <laughs> the first time I went to Las Vegas, and I was for my 30th birthday, and we were just, this is just the time when I was able to actually do something fun with money to spare. And we went to this pool party, my friend and I that were there, and... We asked for a bottle of water at the pool party. It's actually, I think, Dreas on top of the Cromwell. And that lady handed me that bottle of Avion and said $10. <laughs> I said, the devil is alive. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah, they upcharged so, the Avion. You know, listen, that that's on brand. That sounds about right. It was the best water I ever drank. And I don't know if it was because it was $10, it was hot, or what. Evian, final answer. I have redeemed myself. Thank you. Final answer. You have been redeemed. You have, you have you. been redeemed. And let me say this, y'all. If you can't afford Avion water, you can get Aquafina. You can get Sam's Choice. You can get whatever. You can get the tap. Now, you need to check your city to make sure the tap is okay. But the, the, the facts, the material facts of this is that you need to drink some water. A lot of it. <laughs> yes. Follow Michael's example. <laughs> Follow so Michael's example. At this point forward, I'm only drinking it uh, Avion water. That's it. My idol drank it. I'm drinking it. 
That's right. Big budgets. It's big budgets with the Avion like, I don't. I don't know if you'll get any Grammys after you drink it. It has not happened to me, but keep it <laughs> Let me find out that's why you're drinking it. <laughs> He's trying to manifest. Manifest the greatness. You guys did really, really, really good. Michael Jackson trivia and Black History Month trivia. We hope you learned something you didn't know before. If you got all these answers right, then you are really the GOAT and let us know you got them all right at me and say, I got all your little questions right. Matter of fact, I got when you messed that one up with Taj, had that one right. <laughs> they gonna be lying. No one got all those questions right. <laughs> yeah, they gonna be lying. <laughs> if you think you got them all right, right, okay. But you know, lots of fun. You guys, if you learn something new, let us know what you learned new. We love to hear about it. We love being a podcast that you can say, hey, I learned something I didn't know before. We're not perfect. We don't always get it right. So if we got corrections and amplifications, we pronounce all the European names wrong. So if you got something we do that we didn't do quite right, let us know. Drop us a note and we'll be sure to correct it on the next episode. We are moving hot and heavy. You guys know that music. That is that means it's time to talk about some Michael Jackson news, which, guys, we have not had a podcast since 2022 that has been out for the public. Now, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you have heard some things from us since then. And if you don't subscribe, you should subscribe. But if you're not there yet, you haven't heard from us since 2022. So much Michael Jackson news has happened since then. First and foremost, we want to give a big happy birthday shout out to a member of the Michael Jackson fan community at She's also a member of the the BTS community. What they call them? Army. The Army. Okay, okay. At Jen V Defiantly You. She said on Twitter, I hope you ladies are well. Wish you had episode one ready for February 8th, my birthday. No worries. I can wait and you will. It'll be a belated birthday gift to me. <laughs> and you will. <laughs> Because it's already the 10th, um, so there we go. She said this will be a belated birthday gift to me, and you're absolutely right. This is your birthday gift. We hope you had a happy birthday. Like, the year is gone. We've all celebrated a couple of birthdays on this podcast, so we hope you had a good birthday on February the 8th. Shout out to you, and we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you keep listening. Let's transition a little into some other Michael Jackson news. Let's first talk about the Michael Jackson biopic. We learned that the son of Jermaine Jackson, Jafar Jackson, Taj's cousin, has been named as the individual who will play and depict Michael Jackson in the biopic that is going to come out. Whoa, the internet like melted in the Michael community and the greater community, honestly, because I saw it on all the gossip sites and everything. Like, look at him. He looks like Michael. He looks just like him. And yep, that's who they should get. Like, I mean, it was just going crazy. Big news across the community. Sound off, guys. Tell me what you think about it. Perfect casting. First word, uh, first set of words there. Perfect casting. I don't, listen, I think everyone was concerned who the hell is going to play Michael. And the fact that not only did they pick, you know, like, you know, the most perfect person, it's a Jackson himself. And I mean, it's just something that I believe I mean, could not have been better. And we all know the casting director, by the way. Don't you guys know the casting director? Shoot that name for us. Who is it? Oh, gosh. What's her name? Um, She's the same casting director. She did uh, Baby Boy. I know we've all watched Baby Boy. Oh, okay. She's the same casting director that did that made-for-TV Lifetime movie. But keep in mind, that came with a made-for-TV budget as well. That's why they chose who they chose there. Uh, Wait, uh, the one with Flex in it? No, the one uh, with the MJ impersonator. Oh, God. That one was even worse than Flex. 
Yeah, no, that one wasn't. And Flex was terrible. <laughs> My bad. No disrespect. Flex tried. We, we love tried. Flex. Flex, you can come I mean, on they the show were both too, Flex. I think uh, the Flex movie, what, what, straight to DVD or something like that? Or was it made for Straight TV? to trash. That's what uh, that yeah. was. <laughs> that was straight to if trash. If somebody we, pressed that up, they should not have. We, and everybody yeah. watched that and went, what in the, and I love, and Flex loves Michael. I think that's the part yeah. that kind of threw everybody. We're like, we love, and he's doing his best. We're like, oh Lord, no, oh no. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Taj has quite a few interesting things to say about this as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally knew about it way early, and it was one of the hardest secrets to keep because I was so excited. I had done a couple live streams where people had asked about the biopic, and I couldn't really speak about Jafar in, in that way. But um, I always felt they get the casting wrong, that's it game over and it's an impossible casting and then i saw jafar's um hair and makeup test and i i don't even i, I can't even describe in words how not not even magical just I, I always use this word pride because you know i know my cousin jafar i've known him my whole life obviously or his whole life and to see the talent but just the intricacies and and how well he had nailed down his uncle it almost was like he had studied him for 30 years you guys are going to be blown away and i'm saying that not as someone that's trying to sell family member but someone that had my own opinion changed i i never underestimated jackson period because we usually try and rise to the occasion but he went way past my expectations i'm just excited to see what he can do it's gonna be a very special treat for everyone when they see it he's talking about like he said the entire package from the mannerism to how yeah he would talk the, the, the voice the voice the voice pattern to everything like i think that's something that everyone else had a disadvantage because they're only watching michael jackson public stuff what you know interviews and stuff like that they're not they never got to hang out with him like Jafar did as an as a nephew in that way where he got to see Michael just normally in terms of just relaxed and still talking. All that stuff. So it's just it really is a treat. You're right, um, Dr. Green. It's it's not about, oh, he, yeah, he looked great. It's about he embodied Michael. And that's because I don't care, you know, how they looked. I mean, yeah, that's one of the most important parts. But if they didn't get the mannerism, if they didn't get the, the voice correct, and if they didn't get the kind of cadence and all of that, then it wouldn't have mattered anyway. It's, it's spot on casting. It, it's brilliance. And I, I commend um, Graham King for going with that aspect of it, because he's the one, the producer that was like, um, that made that happen in that way and and had the confidence to pick a family member, knowing that there could be scrutiny from that. Yeah, that had to be that had to be hard because and I'm glad you hit on that, Taj, because a lot of the commentary that we saw online and I understood the uh, same way with you. You say, you know, at first you were like, but then, you know, you became a believer, especially once you saw some things that, of course, people have not seen yet. But a lot of the commentary online has been, okay. he has no proven track record. He has no this. He has no that. Is this over his head, essentially? Um, Mm -hmm. And did they cast him wrong? So it's it's nice for you to kind of give some additional context, because that's a big concern. Um, People even ask us, like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, first of all, he's 26 years old. And this is like the opportunity of a lifetime. So first of all, I want to uplift 
him period right like let's let's wish the best let's hope let's hope and believe the best and actually what you said we actually said on our news patreon which if you guys want to hear you can go subscribe or go listen to it if you're already a subscriber we said listen he's got an inside track that no one else who has ever played michael jackson has and don't underestimate how that will impact his ability to depict this individual because that's very different so i'm glad you brought that up as well yeah, and just to, just so that um, just for your listeners, so that there's no um, confusion, I never once thought Jafar couldn't pull it off. What I thought was that the whole biopic relied on the casting, and if the casting was wrong, then that would be it. Once I found out that Jafar was um, cast, ninety nine percent of my doubt went away, and then that one percent when I saw the actual footage. And, the, and then that changed from excited to see it to pride because as Jackson's it's, you know, we already know we're going to be kind of scrutinized. We already know that there's a certain level that we have to maintain in terms of quality. And he really, he not only hit it out of the park, but you know, you can tell that he was taking this with great strides in that way. Cause it's a lot of pressure in that. But as you can tell with us, you know, some we, we rise to the occasion when there's a when there's pressure in that way. I don't know what it is about my family, but that's one of the things that I'm proud of is that when it when, when you give us that bat and we're up at bat, we're gonna make sure we hit that ball out of the park. And I would also like to add that as far as you know, people talking about hey, you know, the experience and so on and so forth. John Bronca also recently revealed that Jafar has been in the lab and has been training and has been working and has been practicing for over six months now. Yep. And I mean, this is this is something high. This has a nice budget. He's getting the best training. He's in California for crying out loud. There's no better acting uh, lessons that you're going to get anywhere in the world. And also keep in mind this, every great actor, every great actress had a breakthrough role. You know, everyone had that first film that they started before they became someone. And uh, you know what? I mean, Jafar is already a, I mean, he's already a singer. Like um, I have his music and have had his music down in my Apple music for, you know, years. And, you know, he's already uh, broken through on the music side of things. And I have faith in what Jafar is going to produce. And it's like Todd said, I really don't think we've seen anything yet. I think that, you know, once we see it, in motion, you know, once we see it live on the screen, I think we're all going to be taken aback. And <laughs> and one other thing here as well, Graham King, we've got to give this man uh, credit where credit is due. You know, uh, Graham is, you know, I mean, he's huge in Hollywood and he's doing a Michael Jackson film. You know how much he have at, uh, he's put on the line in order to do a film about Michael Jackson in Hollywood. You know, I mean, he, I mean, he, he just really took Hollywood by the balls and was like, this is what I want to do. And on top of that, publicly stated that he studied the allegations now for over seven years and he doesn't believe in them, you know, the false allegations into Michael Jackson. And I mean, that's another thing to commend Graham King on. So I'm really happy that Graham King is the producer for this film. Like, I mean, it's just, I mean, he's not holding back. He's not hiding. For that's sure. something to respect. 
I feel you. That's big respect because to actually sit down and really think about these accusations, there is no real evidence. You know, some things you might not agree with or find this was inappropriate. Maybe you shouldn't have done this. Maybe you shouldn't have done this. But the core of these accusations has no basis in real reality or evidence, in fact. But what you do find out if you study, as he did, it's a lot of money that starts to be involved and a lot of discussion of money and the pursuit of a come up. And that leads people to do things that otherwise nothing else would do. Like the love of money is crazy. And so the fact that he took the time to study these accusations is so important to the fan community. I'm hoping that the greater community can appreciate that because of course we already had Dan Reed make comments and we've had other people make comments that, Oh, the estates behind this, they're, you know, putting this together. It's not going to be an unvarnished look. Even Karen Faye has said to the extent like, well, John Branca, is he going to talk about, you know, his true role and in, in, in Sony's role Are these things going to be broadcast. And I think some of the pushback from fans was, well, there's not enough time to to go into every nuance. This is a like a a more of a summary aspect versus a very detailed thing. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds and then how it is received. Uh, because I don't care about it being the biggest biopic ever. I care about it being a true reflection of this man and his music and his art. I think if that happens, we'll all be happy um, yeah. because you know that 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 helps to set that record straight. And and that's a great way of saying that. Um, and I think that's why I feel so good about Jafar being there. He's not there just as an actor. He's there as a family member. He wants to make Michael proud. He wants to encompass his uncle. I've always said my uncle was definitely not perfect, but he was probably one of the most giving, loving human beings I've ever met and ever will meet. What the media has portrayed of him is the exact opposite of who he is. As long as that's captured on screen of humanizing Michael, but also letting the world see what they miss and what they had at one point and kind of neglected, you know, that will be very powerful. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Taj. And, you know, I I tell people all the time, like, oh, I do a Michael Jackson podcast and then insert punchline. You know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, now I got to fight. <laughs> but yeah, I, now you <laughs> like, like, dang, Watch you your reach it to my bag this far, but now I got to do it. But, yeah. you know, it's almost like with Janet's documentary that she did for Lifetime, it reintroduced a lot of people to Jan. And the powerhouse that she actually is. And Mm -hmm. I think, and I'm hoping that this biopic does the same thing for Michael Jackson, because, you know, I think we all, everybody here wants, wants the world to see what we see about Michael, which is that he was a humanitarian. He was a a loving family member. He wasn't perfect, but none of us are, you know, but he did his best and he tried his best. Tosh, I have a question for you. This is just from Big Cousin standpoint for you like yeah have you talked to Jafar how was he when he found out he got the the role obviously he knew a long time before we did how'd that go I obviously talked to him I I I um I'm big cousin as you said I I chatted with him he came over one day we had a whole almost day worth of talking about Michael and and sharing stories and I want to set him up to succeed as well I gave him certain things that I had on my uncle in terms of personal things for me that he might not have had just so that in character or if he has to use those things just to get closer to Michael or understand the essence of it that might help too I, I don't know his acting process so I you know I'm just going off of a whim I definitely can tell you that the whole family is proud of him when we saw that tape you know a lot of us were crying me included Aww. and so 
I think he knows how important it is. I'm more worried not about his performance. I'm worried about the aftermath because it's going to skyrocket him. There's mm-hmm. certain things that the media, when it comes to Jacksons, they just can't handle a Jackson having success. And so that is what I'm worried about. Luckily, Jafar is a great kid. So there's not going to be any, I mean, if they try and dig in his life, they're not going to come up with anything. The scrutiny of it, I think that's because he he, he is such a good kid. And the talent now is there. So I'm just really excited. I'm I'm really excited for everything. But And I've told him uh, as well, anything I can do, but he's already got it. He's already got it in that way. I think we're all so excited for him. And Taj, just tell him the fans are excited and send our love. And when I heard about it, I thought about how great this is going to be, but also like, I hope he has the chance to protect his mental health because that's going to be- that, That's what I'm worried about. That's where I think- us as a family unit, we let him know we got you because it's not just him that's going to be going through this. You know, we're a family and he's, you know, he's going to shine and and we're going to make sure that he's protected. I just, I love how, you know, fam bam is the thing. Do y'all have a cousin's group chat, like text message group? Because we all got one. Like, do y'all we got do, a cousin? We do, yeah. We okay, do. I'm just making sure, yeah. That's what you get to talk about all your aunties and uncles and be like, I don't know. Yeah. What we is going a, on? Yeah, we have a cousin one, yeah. That's the side yeah, you chat. Gotta the, you gotta have the, family, you got the main yeah. chat, right. You got the main chat, and they be talking about Nothing, everything, everything. right? <laughs> everything. Taj know what we talking about. Girl. He laughed. I know. Yeah. You know. He you know black. I don't know why black families do this. Stop putting us in these family group chats. <laughs> well, I think I think the, the best thing for the Jacksons is I doubt very highly y'all are in the Facebook family group chats. Those are the ones that are worse than That's the, ones the on worst. Your when they start going in the Facebook DMs, oh my God. That's because that's their domain now. Yeah. It's no, our family hasn't gotten into the Facebook thing yet. <laughs> no, that is not Be for glad. y'all. Definitely. They just got the regular daily group where you get an invite, you know, and you're like, oh, you've been invited to this group. Why? <laughs> yeah, definitely we've got like yeah. three on the blue family and then they use the group to be like happy birthday cooking. so and so right oh, wait, yep. it's not your birthday wait that's tomorrow <laughs> whose birthday is it oh my lord <laughs> oh by the way guys i got the casting director uh oh yeah who is that? so the casting director you can find her on instagram at casting with kim her name is kimberly harden and she's uh cast at films such as one night in miami Think Like a Man 1 and 2, Hustle okay. and Flow, Cadillac Records, Baby Boy, and Friday, and uh, a lot more. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. pretty steep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm with it. That's yeah. You can find steep. Chris Tucker. You're good with me, but Yeah, that's pretty steep. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Yeah, so, um, and that's the thing, too, right? Like, people act like this is not in the hands of professionals who are able to make decisions beyond simply nepotism or something like that. They Their work is still being named behind this so they're not they're not going to throw that out the window just to say oh we cast michael jackson's nephew like that's not going to happen no exactly one more news piece and then we'll move straight on brad sunberg which we had a, a conversation about in our patreon content had a theft of his laptop a bunch of leaks came out and there was just this big debate online about should we listen to the leaks should we not listen to the leaks and we had a discussion and we talked about the nuances of it theft is bad folks it's actually a crime so we do not condone don't steal we don't condone anyone stealing he jumped out the window which I wish there was footage of that (laughs) y'all I thought you were kidding when you said no that was real 
that Apparently is a real description a roll. <laughs> do we believe that somebody ju- well i mean what what all had to Brad be going just- on for him to be able to jump out of a window like i don't know i just he I, had to get out what you mean what was going well, on he hit the door him. he couldn't take the door he Listen, stole. i just I think about me and my You ain't jumping your ass out. I'm not jumping out no window. No. He had to get he had to tuck and roll because he had theft in hand and he had to go. He he had a PC. He had a PC and a laptop, which makes this very questionable. But go ahead. Go ahead. He had a team, team effort. So anyway, he steals all this stuff. He starts uploading it and then he goes into whole like man behind the curtain mode, like I am 1365. I stole Brad's shit. And like this. <laughs> that oh, is God. so miserable. My God. <laughs> Get a like gig. The, Get a like job. Going. Well, first of all, I said this. It's like, is this like, is this like Robin Hood? Is it like Robin Hood stealing from the rich? Brad has a lot of, <laughs> a lot of content and giving to the poor Michael fans who have, who are in a desert. We did not need that. And we certainly but, didn't okay, need to okay, out of so a window I want to hear Dr. Green, I want to hear, and Taj too, I want to hear your thoughts. Of course, the theft is wrong. It's uh, completely wrong. You should not steal. And you're going to get slapped on your hands for stealing. Why are you stealing? Oh, no, you're going to get prosecuted. Was that in America or was this abroad? It was in Brussels. It was in, it was in Europe. Oh, God, Lord. Yeah. But what do you guys think? So a lot of fans was a big debate. Dr. Green, let me start with you. A lot of fans were like, watch it. Uh, some fans were like, I will never watch a clip of this. But from that, I watched it. From uh, from that, we saw Michael Jackson with a... Love how you oh, just put that out there. We were. Oh, I definitely watched it. I lo- First of all, we're band geeks. We were in band. I love a good orchestra. I love a good symphony. Like, seeing that piece to childhood was beautiful to me. And seeing Michael sing it, oh, I don't regret it. I'll watch it again if it's still up. If they haven't taken it down, I'm just being honest. What do you guys think about the theft? Because, and let's start with you, Dr. Green, because it does not appear that this person had the intent to try to profit from it. It felt like, like I said, maybe a Robin Hood. I just want to share this with the world. Still wrong, but, you know, what are your thoughts? Right. Well, that's exactly what the, uh, what he thought that he was being as a Robin Hood of sorts, when in reality, as you just stated, he's only a thief and a criminal, you know, not on top of that. I mean, but yes, but is I, he a smooth criminal? That's the question. Uh, no. <laughs> not the way those. that tuck and roll was. described. <laughs> There's only one of those. But ultimately, you know, like, yes, it had the Michael Jackson content on it as well. But, you know, I mean, this guy you know, invaded Brad's privacy. He invaded Brad's personal space. And then afterwards, Brad is uh, being threatened to have his seminars, you know, broken into again. And I think that there was also some threats of violence. No, I don't think I know. There were also some uh, threats of violence for what? his What? Oh, that's new. I see. I didn't know that. What do you mean what violence? Are you what you going to do? Telling... First of all, hey, what are you saying? Non-violent <laughs> fan community. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> what do you say? What do you mean violence? Often. Threats of violence. What's that mean? Yeah, so, uh, you know, there were a couple of people who was uh, rooting on this thief, and, you know, they were like, yeah, you're doing the right thing. In fact, you know, I'm, uh, you know, like, I may very well, you know, just come in there and, you know, like, push Brad and, you know, stuff like that. Like, I, I, Yeah, like, I mean, the, the, like, they went full-on psychotic. There were some, and by some, I mean, very few. I mean, these these type of fans are by no means no representation of the fandom at whole. But there was, uh, there were a few fans who were like, yeah. And listen, like you, I watched that clip. 
what I got from watching that clip, I can't get from any other artist oh, no, today or prior beautiful, to Michael. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, yeah, or, I mean, I, I mean, lovely. I mean, just beautiful. I mean, truly. Mm. I mean, and this is like 1990s footage, but I mean, yeah. just gorgeous. I mean, I don't, I don't regret. I don't regret it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it. you know, it was uploaded. And after I watched it, I reported the video. So, you know, just I reported it. And, uh, you know, it's something that, I mean, yeah, I, I'm glad I got to see. Yes, I want the entire world to see. But I think uh, the friend of the show, Damien, I mean, he, I think it was Damien. Oh, oh no, I don't, uh, I don't think it was Damien. I think it was Jamin, actually, from MJ Cast. Uh, he put it the best way. You know, possible. Uh, you know, he said, and I'm paraphrasing. You know, I don't know his exact words, but yeah, the whole world should see this. But now with this leak or whatever, you know, I mean, it's being introduced to the world with more silver whimper than you know the accolades that it deserved. And yeah. you know, it's something that had done appropriately. You know, like in some type of film or documentary of sorts or whatever. I mean, this this is the footage fans need. Especially long-term yeah, yeah. time fans who are oh, we are thirsty. Yes, we are like we are we are a thirsty <laughs> man in the desert. And Taj, I want you to speak <laughs> yeah. to that. Taj, I want you to speak to that. The fans are thirsty. We have been rocking with Michael. So first of all, no offense to the fans who became fans after two thousand and nine, but you have no idea. We have been and 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 listen, we have no idea about the fans that have been rocking since 1969, 70. So cool. But we are so parched and thirsty for Michael creative content. And then they Not sold us fake songs, which we really, dis that was disrespectful. You know, so we see something like this and we're like, it's like the well in the desert. We're like, I got a drink. I'm going to drink. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hard because definitely for me, I've seen so much footage I've seen, you know, I, I got to hang out with my uncle for thousands and thousands of hours. So I can't take the road of like, oh, well, you know, I don't understand why people would want to see more because even I want to see more and I've seen a lot and I still want to, every time I see footage of my uncle, it, it brings me, I'm, I feel closer to him. I I get the interest of it. I um, I personally know Brad and and. The hard thing is the invasion of privacy, as Dr. Green said, it's like, you know, having something stolen and then you don't even know what's on the computer and you have to change all your code. It's just there's there's a lack of respect there. Um, I think that's the hardest thing. The fact that he Brad was al already sharing the private stuff with people, whether it was a seminar or not a seminar, it's just in general, it's I mean, I hope he continues People did get to see it, not not as many as the world wanted to see in terms of that. Now people are going to get to see the childhood footage and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, it has a little taint to it, in my opinion, even though it was, I personally, because I never lie to you guys, <laughs> I think I saw the first 15 seconds of the childhood thing and it was amazing. And, but it also made me sad because I just have a different look of it in terms of, I've seen my uncle record a lot in studio and it actually, it was the joy he had in recording that song made me really sad because it's like, I wish the world could see that Michael, the innocence, the joy, the pure joy. And it's it's almost like childish has become a, a bad word, but just the childlike nature of it, because that's the magic that he had. That's the magic that I've my whole life tried to recreate. 
it is sad that uh, of how we got the footage in that way because it's it's i don't think it taught anyone anything because i think more people will try and mimic that i i i do know if i was the estate i'd probably be clamping down on certain things like that now i wouldn't want to open it up we might have clamped um we might have stopped brad's seminar i'm not saying we did but just that action might have stopped his seminar i'm hoping that it didn't right i was thinking that tosh too like on the backside, it's always now what's the consequence going to be you know and so a few people got to see that video but that may stop everyone from being able to see other footage that might have been even better than what we saw with childhood so stealing is bad guys don't steal a laptop and jump out of a window in brussels because it is not a good thing and what's wrong with you right who raised you who Who raised you your mama is not happy about that. She's not. Don't don't steal like that, y'all. Because like y'all said, his personal things were also potentially on this laptop. You don't know that this was a dedicated work. And even if it was dedicated work, that's still his work. You guys need to stop stealing. It's not cute. And the police are coming. And also, just to, to let you guys know in general, I mean, I, I don't go a day without someone trying to hack into my Twitter or my Facebook or anything like that or my phone. It, it's so not only is it frustrating, but it's just like it, it adds a certain paranoia to you. And, and people wonder why I'm so tight lipped about my project. A lot of it is because there's people that are rooting against it. And there's other people that take anything that I have and they and they turn it against, you know, me or they use it as something to basically, I guess, sabotage the project. Um, but we'll get more into that later. I know that's part of the thing, but I'm just saying that that doesn't help the scenario, knowing that a fan will steal a laptop because I never would have thought that. When I see fans and stuff, MJ fans, I don't think of that. But now I got to even think about that, that someone might try and steal something that I have, thinking that there's video of Michael in there. That's real. I I just typed for our listeners in our in our chat for the podcast. I was just like, this is actually insane because I'm shocked that Michael fans went to this length. So. Don't steal from Brad, from Tom, from, from anybody. Tosh. Don't like, steal. Why are you st- like stealing? Is Don't such a basic steal. no-no. You learn this very early in life. Of all the things to steal, steal bread and water because you're hungry. Don't steal some stuff off of somebody's computer because you just thirsty for how content. Gonna steal That's not a thing. How are you going to be a thief and you're a fan of a philanthropist? Come on, guys, yeah, think it that's through. That's not cool. That's not cool. And Taj, I hate that. I hate to hear that because. I believe I believe you a thousand percent. These some fans are just from another galaxy. Honestly, you have to. They need to come back to Earth. I'm just gonna keep it real because that's what we do on this podcast. They need to come back to Earth and get realistic. The, you know, people don't move at the speed you want them to move. Things don't happen when you want them to happen. But you need to respect people's autonomy. You can have whatever opinions you want, but you cross the line at certain points. Stealing is definitely across the line. Y'all behave, behave, be good. And if you know the person who stole the stuff and did return it, returning it doesn't negate the crime and most likely charges are coming. That's that. And Brad, we hope he continues to do his projects because everyone we know who's talked about having attended his events says it's a wonderful, fantastic event and they love it. They would go back again. And so we hope that he continues and he he ingests all that positivity and continues to do his show in the U.S. and abroad. And, and we said the European fans was crazy. Oh, yeah. Y'all yeah. always say that. <laughs> we did. We definitely have. <laughs> it didn't happen in America. 
It didn't happen it didn't in America. Happen. Yeah, we just said, why are you guys asking Janet if Michael's baptized? We thought that was a little weird. <laughs> we it's said European weird. fans as well. So listen, y'all are y'all are living up to to They're our overzealous. Let's relax. Just relax. Take a breath. Yeah. It's relax, all good, guys. So we're gonna that actually gives a good segue into our next section, which is all about why we have these wonderful men on our podcast. We're so happy to have you guys here. Thank you so much for joining us. We wanted to talk a little bit about so one, so Dr. Green knows this because so first of all, we've been we've been rolling with Dr. Green since we started this. Like very early on, we connected with him. Period. So this is just the first time y'all have heard us on this podcast with him. We've been vibing for at this point. We've been doing this podcast for a couple of years. We've been vibing for years. So I was like, listen, man, we heard the MJ. Kiss. So first of all, people were telling us, oh, the MJ kids said something about you on their podcast with Taj and you guys need to go listen to it. So people were sending us DMs and sending us messages. And we were like, okay, we, we listened to the MJ cast period. We've been very vocal about how they haven't, they inspired our podcast. And anybody knows if you've been listening to us from day, if you are day one, you know that we have said the MJ cast was a big influencer of us to get started. And we felt that there was a space that was not being accounted for. And that was the space of black fans in the fan community, which is, and we were just angry, honestly, about what was happening with leaving Neverland. And we felt that how can you attack someone who's not here to defend themselves and take it as truth? And so we felt like, how, how can we fill the space? And that's really how the Black Jackson State podcast started. But a bunch of people were kind of hitting us up. We listened to the podcast and we weren't happy really with some of the, with the way we were incorporated into the discussion. <laughs> we weren't happy with the way we were incorporated into the discussion to be real. And so I said, you know, Dr. Green, like, you know, this is not quite accurate as to how we feel. Right. And so we'd love to have an opportunity to talk to Taj ourselves and say, Hey, listen, this is where we are. This is how we feel. And to kind of chop it up, would he be interested in coming? And lo and behold, here y'all are enjoying all this good discussion with Taz Jackson. So we want to talk a little bit about that. So on the MJCast, um, I'm going to kick it to user 1.5 because they had some strong things to say. Um, they used the word scammer. I can't do the accent, man. Scammer. <laughs> and and um, so I'm going to kick it to user 1.5 because she's the one that has been very vocal about some of the things she felt were problematic, even in how maybe the updates and things to the documentary were being discussed. So let me kick it to her really quickly to discuss her response to some of that, some of that content. Uh, yeah. So I listened again, I think user, so everybody knows user one and I are sisters. We listened to the MJ cast episode together. And honestly, I don't know that our views have been represented accurately, but I will, I want to talk directly to you, Taj, right now about your docuseries. So I know we've had a couple of updates. You've given the information that you're able to give us. I do understand that you aren't able to talk about things in depth. Um, and I think that for us, scammer is not the, the word. I did use yeah, to, yeah. total transparency. I used the word scammer at one point and I backtracked myself because that is not what I think about you. But what I do, what I have said, and I'm going to say it to you, is that we are looking for an update for this project that feels substantive because it seems like what we've gotten so far has been very vague. And for me, it's like the press release. I'm still, I'm still like, oh gosh, where's the press release? Oh gosh, where's the press release? And so I just wanted to to talk to you. And I am wholly ready to eat crow 
when this docuseries comes out. And I will say it as loud as I as I said that we need more updates and we need something and we need to see something. I'm coming to you and I'm saying this to you in 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 this way um, because I want you to know that we believe in you. We just want to see something. And I appreciate that. Look, I am very aware of everyone, <laughs> of everyone, uh, because I am also very aware when I started the project, the project has taken on different kind of um, meaning, taken on different kind of um, oppositions. But the first thing was, is when I put up the GoFundMe, my first thought was, okay, that 777, yes, it's symbolic in terms of $777,000. But also with that, I could do the first pilot episode. And through that episode, I know I can get two or three more episodes probably funded from that. So that 777 was never a number that was going to get me three or four episodes. That's just for the quality that I wanted and for for the footage that I wanted to either license or music I want to license, that's an un unrealistic number. But I was confident enough to know that I could make a pilot for that amount and then maybe sell it to a network or sell it to um, or license it to a network. That's the first part of it. But then the, that four episodes became seven, which then became 11. And then it was like, okay, there's more money that needs to be made in this. And, and I have to go the investment route. The hardest thing was knowing that 99% of my options, because when you're in Hollywood, you go the Hollywood way and there's a lot of Hollywood investors, but just knowing the people involved that were against my uncle and against my uncle, um, my uncle's project, one of them, her name starts with an O and her influence. I knew that I couldn't take the traditional route that everyone else would have been able to take in that way. And mm. no, no, no shade to um, anyone that's doing a documentary already halfway done or whatever, but I'm not doing that same documentary. My documentary, like you wouldn't compare, uh, well, I'm going to do it now, but you wouldn't compare Michael Jackson album to someone else's album. They're two different albums. The way I was brought up, I better do an, a Michael Jackson album. If I'm going to do something on Michael Jackson, it better be to the quality that he, if he was sitting right there next to me, I would be able to keep my head up high and know that he's proud of me. Right then and there, I'm my worst enemy. Um, but at the same time, I know that the bar is going to be so raised that I know I'm going to that it's going to be something that the fans don't expect, even if they think, I hope it's good. I'm not looking for good. I'm looking for great. It does take a lot of time. I've had to be secretive because when I put out the interview list at one point, someone took that and went to some of my interviewees and scared them away. I'm working back to get some of them again, but oh, wow. this is the kind of stuff that I, I work behind the scenes having to deal with. It, I, I wish I'm the kind of person People that know me, I can't even wait till, till Christmas to give my kids gifts. Like I like to give them right away. So <laughs> me being quiet and not letting you guys know is one of the hardest things because I love the excitement of it. I love the journey of it in that way. Like I want you guys to be on the journey with me. And I keep saying that in my GoFundMe, but then reality hits. And I'm like, there's people behind the scenes close to me that are working against me. And so that is the hardest thing because I don't know who that is just like there were with Michael, because there's people invested in the lie. And um, as much as I want to believe people are good people, there are people that are money people, and they're only there for the lie. I don't blame not one of you guys for for losing faith, because it's a ridiculous long amount of time that this project has taken. I am so thankful that there's still people there that believe in it. I can tell you, though, that what I've said is that this project 
will 100% be made because as long as I'm breathing, this project will be made. And I'm the only one that can stop the project from being made is me. Right. That I can guarantee. And I also, you know, can guarantee that this project will be. Uh, the reason I said 2023 was because I knew, you know, a lot of people, you know, I know what's coming down the pipeline of of stuff. And I knew the biopic was going to be in 2024. So I said, this could be a great intro and kind of clear the air for all those naysayers and whatever, uh, a docu-series that really proves Michael's innocence. And so that the biopic can really just focus on how it doesn't have to dive so deeply into stuff because hopefully that stuff will not be as relevant anymore. And we can really just concentrate on Michael being the incredible person he was. Yes, he had to go through things, but it won't have to answer questions that were left unanswered in that way. Hopefully my docuseries will do that already. And so it's almost like a one-two punch. It's just been hard because I can't say certain things and I'm asking people to go on faith, but at the same time, people invested in it. So they have a right to ask questions and know. I do think people that ha that are in the know, because I do have to tell certain people and they've been kind of fighters for, for me, but at the same time, that doesn't mean everyone understands what's going on. So I never thought like, oh, you know, I never get upset at people that are, I did get called evil today by <laughs> someone in a um, in an email that called me an evil person because of I didn't, I was at the docuseries wasn't out yet. And I don't know where that came from. Cause those are, that's fine. That's, I just, I really did um, truly say, and I, I really, as long as like when it comes out, because the media is not going to promote this, my docuseries, they, they, they're right. invested in the lie. So yeah. all I want is I want as many voices spreading this docuseries once you see it like i don't even expect you to spread it before you see it but once you see it i do want people to spread it and 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 be proud of it because i'm looking at it as a fan as well just like you guys are like i want to see certain things i want certain things to be cleared up and i also want people to understand michael because there's a whole generation that grew up there's a statistic um, for the biopic of Gen Zers and millenniums are the ones that are most eager to see this biopic. And so there's a young generation that didn't grow up with Michael Jackson. It's our responsibility to tell them, just like as we talked about in the beginning about Black History Month, to tell them how important this person was to Black history, but also to the Black family in general and the Jacksons, obviously, the Jackson family. But there's a whole, there's a lot that I'm shouldering but rightfully so, because you best believe I'm I'm going to let the world know of what the Jackson Five and my family did for American culture, especially Black American culture. Absolutely. There's a lot that I'm undertaking, but but you know I'm I'm excited. I um I almost say I wish you could know what I know in that way of just like we I knew too, Jafar Taj. was going to be. <laughs> we do too. No, I know, I know. And trust me, I've I've <laughs> almost slipped at times. You know, I've been asked. You know, like the hardest thing was when I was asked uh, who would you cast or something for the biopic, and I was like, I I can't even answer that because I already know Jafar's cast. You know, and yeah. so like there's certain things down the line that I just know, and there's certain certain things I have no clue about that they keep me in the dark. But um, but a lot of the things, whether it's the Broadway play when you're dealing with press releases you know you don't want to step on the toes of other press releases of michael jackson as much as you guys are excited to see my my um press release the rest of the world 
if it comes down to a Michael Jackson estate press release versus mine, the, they're not even going to promote mine. They're just going to go straight to the Michael Jackson estate. And so that's what happened with the right. first press release was I got wind okay. that they were that okay. the estate was going to do a press release. Then when I was planning on doing the second was when Thriller 40th um, got announced. And so I'm just trying to I'm trying to find my space because obviously they're starting to do these biopic press release pretty often. Like they announced the director, then they announced Jafar. So I am still planning on doing a press release, but at the same time, now I want it to have a little more sting because it's been so long. And I'm also, I do like the element of surprise. I do like what Janet did at the same time where she just, no one could react to it. Like I'm coming out with a, with a documentary and people just like scrambled. They didn't even know that she had been shooting right. one. So right. I do like that element of surprise too, but I, I don't have that luxury, but I do with the rest of the world, with the fan community, no, but the rest of the world has no clue about this. So that is something exciting. And Todd, yeah. can I intervene for the uh, audience here and the listeners, just more on the, just more on the uh, project itself. So, I mean, here's a couple of things that I, I would like to say as well, because yeah, some people are uh, definitely aware that I'm part of the project and, you know, like I get asked all the time, Hey, you know, what's going on and so on and so forth. And for the primary reason, reasons, I should say that Todd uh, stated is why, you know, we, we are so tight lipped. I am so tight lipped about this, but I want to say and point out to the listeners here, if the work has work has been done. Okay. It's not like there's no, nothing done or anything like that. Work hit work. There's been work done now. I mean, you know, like we can't uh, really divulge any details or anything like that, but I would also like to say as well that, I mean, if Todd managed to get investors to invest in the project, what are they investing in? The air that he's breathing? No, obviously he came with uh, he came to them with something solid. They were very very interested, and they're like, okay, I'll invest in the project. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not just going to invest in some in in an idea. I'm not going to invest in the statement that someone is, you know, talking about. I don't care how good it is. I need to see something. I need to know, you know, like, like what your plan is. Like, do you have a business plan? Do you have a, you know, plan to, you know, like, you know, get this to go somewhere? You know, I mean, I, I need to know those things. And, you know, those are the type of things that investors are going to invest in. And, you know, for reasons stated by Todd, this is why those that are involved in a project are currently under NDAs. I mean, uh, Taj, am I able to say that? Can they keep that in? <laughs> yeah, you can keep that. I know. <laughs> it, it, and the funny thing is that the, the NDA thing was something that one of the people in the project uh, suggested. <laughs> that one like i'm so loose with i'm i'm almost like my uncle where it's like so loose with certain things that i'm like i don't think about that aspect i can't think that someone you know on my team would would do something like that but it's not even them it could be something that their laptop could be stolen or something else and then it's like that gets out and stuff like that so i think what the most important thing with this whole project aspect of it is that as long as I'm breathing, this project is coming out. And because I have the means, you know, physically, mentally to do this project. Now, I can also say health-wise, this project, and it's not even just project, and you guys probably can back me up too with, with the whole allegations thing. It, it takes a toll on you, you know, and the more you're an advocate, the more it affects you in that way. And, and yeah. 
I've gained probably in the last three years, probably 40 or 50 pounds. That is not healthy for me. I'm, I'm borderline diabetic. So I'm, I live with this, all the, yeah. the ugliness. I, I wake up on Twitter and read tweets about my uncle that are not nice tweet. And, and I'm finding the balance, I should say, but you know, for people to think that I'm just, I took some, you know, three years worth of money and I'm just living on some island somewhere. It's like, that's been, I wish, it, I, if I could go back, I wouldn't change a thing because I am here to defend my uncle. I am, I, this project is one of the most important projects to me. So I, I'm not going to say that I wouldn't not do this project, but I would do things a little different because my health did suffer. Many times my family did suffer. And then, and I don't think people see the sacrifices that were made as well. I was on the front line as you guys were as well. And, and you, were, um, Taj, you were for sure, you know, I mean, and, and just for every interview you saw, there's interviews you didn't see, you know, mm. I was doing anything under the sun because whoever would listen, I wanted to do interviews on. In, and in Taj, let, let, let me say this too, because we've said this on our podcast many times, you and your cousin Brandy were 10 toes down <laughs> at the hardest, down. at the hardest time to be that at the height of me too. And 19, when people were, I mean, just the sheer allegation sent the sharks and you guys went on every show. I mean, not just in America, in Europe, you, you guys went around and the grace you had, but the forcefulness you also have to defend your uncle. When a lot of people felt his children should have been in that space. You guys went out there as his niece and nephew and said, Hey, listen, this is not who he was. And we will defend him because he's not here to do it himself. We have had, and we still have so much respect for that because we just started a little Twitter account and a podcast, right? You went out here and took on the world who was coming after him in a way that was truly unfair. It was one-sided. It was clearly orchestrated. And all of that ends up coming out. That takes some guts. And that takes some, yeah. you know, that takes some, <laughs> some heart to do. And you did that. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, you know, for me, the hardest thing was knowing that I was going to get the arrows in, in the back or whatever some from the front i i knew what, what what that meant but i also i whenever me and my brothers were around my uncle we we saw the pain he would go through and we said we told him we are your generals you know like we use those terms you know and i've always i've never felt even though he's no longer here i've never felt not wanting to fight for him as if he was right there next to me in that way and and it's what can you what can you give the person that gave you everything you can give them loyalty and you can give them love when they can't give that um i don't know it's, it, i want to say that he gave me so much during my life that it, i'm proud to be able to do this for him now because you know, he can't give me any more, but I can give him back some some of the stuff that he gave me. And so I just I love that aspect of it. That's why I'm doing this project. That's why I've, I have the the fire under me to do this project. That's why I also am so why this project is so important to me and why I'm so have such a high bar for this project is because I know what this project represents. I'm lucky enough to have something where the family the estate and the fans are behind doesn't happen very often. That is something that I'm, I don't take uh, lightly. And I don't think that will ever happen again with a docu-series. So I'm going to make sure that this is the docu-series with an explanation point. And you guys know when me and Todd were, I think it was like our first conversation ever. Me and Todd talked for like four hours about this thing. 
if not longer, because we start talking to each other and, you know, like <laughs> it doesn't end sometimes. But yeah, that's, that's the nature of our conversations. I was telling him, like, I think that uh, the project is going to be the be all know all when it comes to the future generation, because, you know, he just now this was, uh, you know, like his first kid was. I was either just born or really young. And, you know, I was concerned about the future Jackson generations. I mean, you know, they can't go to school with the same stigma that, you know, some of the generations prior to them, you know, kids teasing them about various things about the Jackson family, most of which we know to be untrue and stuff like that. Todd, uh, you know, like he paused and he said, he said, Andrew, this is why, this is why I'm so passionate about getting this done. He doesn't want his kids to go to, you know, school to deal with uh, what some of the other family members had to deal with when they went to school and even in the public, not just school, but anywhere. Yeah. Uh, my dad has a friend. Um, the friend's kid was like 10 years old. The dad introduced uh, introduced my dad to the kid. And this is how he introduced him. He said, this is Michael Jackson's brother. And, and the kid said, Ugh, Michael Jackson. And I was like, that is taught, that is learned from whether it's a parent, but it's that's in that kid's psyche. He doesn't even know Michael Jackson, but he knew enough. He felt comfortable enough to say ill like that in front of my dad. My dad passed that story on to me, which made, made sure that to me, my dad felt bad and felt weird about that. And I'm like, that's why I'm, you know, when my daughter was born, my first daughter was born, I was traveling around in, in England and then Holland and all that stuff, defending my uncle. You know, my daughter was two months old when I when I left for England to do the Good Morning Britain and stuff like that. I did that because, as Dr. Green said, I grew up with, you know, Jafar, Your Majesty and, and Randy and Dante, all of them fighting at school because people were teasing them about Michael Jackson. And I and that's when I said this stops here. This generation should wear a badge of honor, you know, about the Jackson name like I did when I grew up. And it's only fair. And so I'm at the age and I have the capabilities to change that. I'm going to change. I'm not going to wait for anyone anymore. I'm going to change it. And a lot of people don't even know that, like, even with like Charles Thompson, I met Charles in 2010 and told him about the documentary idea. 2015, I was on a show with my brothers talking to my grandma about wanting to do, do a documentary. Mm -hmm. I talked to the estate about it in 2009. This is something that's been, it's not something I just decided to do once Leaving Neverland came out. I've always wanted the world to know who Michael Jackson truly was. You best believe that this is, you know, this is not only going to be done, it's a passion project for me. For as amazing as people think he was, he was triple that, honestly. I I feel so blessed to have lived a life where I actually was close to him in that way. I'm so blessed that I actually got to go on tour with him. I'm so blessed that I got to be around him and after the tours or just in general and hang out with this guy. But I feel I do feel like this is a calling for me to say I've experienced a lot in life. I've been through a lot in life, but it all leads to this. There's certain things of why, you know, whether it was the allegations and, and me and my brothers, you know, the 1993 allegations, me and my brothers were the first ones up there in, um, in Asia before it dropped. Uh, we were there. And then Elizabeth Taylor and my grandma came that 
okay, that might be a coincidence or just because we were close to Michael and, and I'll never forget that call from Evie to my mom saying, Michael needs you. And my mom had us on a plane right away. But then, you know, that's one coincidence. Another coincidence would be that I was living at Neverland during the trial and was there every day of that trial to be with my uncle. That is a handful of people. That's just me and his kids were there. And his kids were too young to understand what was going on. And he personally kept that away from them. So the two biggest things in terms of what he had to go through, what the what the world put him through, I was part of that. I was part of that chapter. And then me also having been sexually abused by someone on my mom's side of the family puts me in a different perspective than anyone else in that way, because I know what that's like. And I also know what my uncle was like. And I know those two things are not connected at all. So my narrative is completely different than someone else. I'm speaking from experience. There's a lot to this, but there's also, there's a lot of I always use that word pride. Whenever I think of the word pride, like my my grandfather's face shows up for some reason because he just, Joe just had the most pride when it came to that Jackson brand. Like if he could have tattooed that on his arm, he would have, you know, like he just, <laughs> he he bled Jackson. And I always will love him for that. He did. He just, you know, he bled that Jackson brand and he, you know, and I always think about that. Sometimes to be honest, I get scared or uh, I'll be like, cause of what the world thinks of the, the brand. But then I have to remind myself that's their ignorance, not mine. I do want to say before I ask another question, we want you to prioritize taking care of yourself because this is hard. Of course, we receive a fraction of the backlash and criticism just as folk who have an externally facing podcast that supports Michael Jackson. We get it probably a, a, a tenth um, if not less of what you you get, I mean, down to the hacking and your DMs, I'm sure it's chaotic. As folks who support your family and and more specifically as, as a group that supports you, we just want to say out loud, please take care of yourself. I'm going to pivot into some of the, the stuff that uh, Dr. Green brought up. Uh, okay. One of the questions that I had to ask was just digging more into the GoFundMe and your trajectory from starting the GoFundMe to now being to the point where you are fully funded. Uh, has the success of being fully funded and now you're on this new pathway to like an 11 part series, has the success of the GoFundMe help um, giving that buy-in? Do you feel like that was something that you needed on the front end? Definitely it did. I mean, obviously if we would have made the goal, it would have, I would probably wouldn't have had it go to an investor. I probably would have just done that episode and then probably gone to a Netflix or an Amazon off of that. But I think this way is now, the way it is now is probably the better way because it's I, I have full control of everything. I think the the important thing with the GoFundMe was not only the support of all the people around the world that were were doing it. When those donations would come in, I would see the support and love and it just it was one of those things that I had to get certain things like equipment and stuff like that cuz one of the things my uncle taught me as well is I don't want to butcher, butcher this quote. <laughs> I won't butcher I won't even say the quote correctly. I'll just say what it is. It's like um Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. For me, as long as I had the equipment, I knew there was nothing that could stop me from making this docu-series. Now, if I didn't have the equipment, I would have to beg people for equipment. I would have to rent equipment, and it would be at the mercy of someone else. And I don't like 
when it comes to Jackson and stuff, I don't like to be at the mercy of someone else in that way. We're very self-sufficient if we have to be in that way. And that's why I've always been able to say this thing is coming out because I personally, I don't know what you know about my background. I know how to light, edit, film, shoot, color correct. I know the whole pipeline of, of what it would take to, to release this onto a Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, or whatever. So there's not one avenue that I had to rely on someone else to complete this. It is a lot faster with help. I'm just saying that I've studied my whole life to know that whole trajectory. That is kind of something that is unique in, in a certain thing. I started as an editor probably in the 90s, and that was certified AVID when, when I was um, still in my 20s, early 20s. It, uh, it's all, uh, what's the word? I said it and then someone else said it like, I do feel like I was made for this, that that that's the purpose of this. The movies that my uncle made me, I shouldn't say made me see, the movies that he wanted me to see that with my brothers at Neverland that we saw like 12 Angry Men and Network and To Kill a Mockingbird. All these movies have relevance to what we what we are dealing with today and what he had to deal with. And it all is symbolism by Going back and revisiting those movies or just thinking about those movies, I'm like, wow, did he even know? Maybe that's how he was always feeling, but it's like almost feels like he kind of knew the future of what he was going to have to go through. And he wanted to make sure that we kind of knew what he had to go through as well. And so, yeah, I I appreciate everyone's support and with the GoFundMe and stuff like that. Um, I didn't want to say too much about that because I think uh, Dr. Green knows something more about that of what I want to do with that aspect. I do want to do something special for everyone that donated in that way. I don't want to say too much yet, but um, just know that your donations it didn't not only didn't help, this project wouldn't have happened without your donations. And don't think I don't understand that and realize that and appreciate that. So, Taj, we can say here on the Black Jets in the State podcast that if you have donated to the GoFundMe for this documentary, there is something special coming to you at a later date. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. And, and, and fact. I've said that I've said that to people on my team already. They, they know a little more, but I don't want to disclose that yet. All right, guys, you heard it here. If you donated already and just, to, you know, full transparency, we've had people literally come to us and DM us and say, I'm not comfortable saying this online, but, you know, I wish I hadn't donated because I don't see anything. So hopefully this yeah. gives even that group some hope. If not, then they just have to kind of wait and see what happens. But yeah, the thing is, once you give somebody your word, the only thing you can do is stand by it. If your word is bond or it doesn't come to pass. So um, exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, we, we, you know, and if not, you guys can add us. Like, listen, you listening to the podcast, you can add a sound, believe nothing that's been said. That's fine. If you feel renewed in your faith, here's the thing on our podcast, we have said many times, listen, we're waning in our faith, but here's the thing. We want Taj to succeed, period because there's a bigger thing here than just Taj and that's his family. Like, and that's the thing I think we keep coming back to. That's your uncle. Oh, that yeah. means something entirely different than us just being fans. Exactly. I'll put on the hype man real quick about that special <laughs> something, something, because I tell you what, like I, I mean, I really do hope it comes in, uh, you know, to, fr to fruition because people are in for it absolute treat but um i also want to talk from an investor's point of view for just a second as, uh, here as well because I, I mean you know i i invest myself in a few projects and 
you know, I just want people to know that um, from from a an investor's point of view, me looking at Todd's GoFundMe tells me a number of things. It tells me that wow, okay, there's a passion for this topic. There's an, you know, there's an interested crowd. People are willing to invest in this project. And when investors see those things, um, you know, from something like, you know, what's been raised on the GoFundMe, you know, they're taking a look to see how many individual people has donated and uh, how much and so on and so forth. Like, that is very attractive. That is something that, I mean, a lot of investors, they don't start off with, or or a lot of people looking for investors, they don't start off with. So, you know, I mean, so yeah, you know, I can, you know, I can definitely attest from an, from an investor's point of view, the, you know, the GoFundMe thing is, you know, I mean, of course it was huge. Definitely helpful in that way with, with, with everything and and selling it to investors in, in that way. So yeah, I've I've always been appreciative. And look, I will always put myself in someone else's shoes as well. And and as I said, I totally understand people. Um, it has been a long time. Um, I would be skeptical too, you know, but I also I'm someone that sees everything half full. So at the same time, I also know that good things take time in that way um but it's been a long time but i'm just saying good things do take time and as my uncle would say like no one remembers his albums and and how delayed they were because they were great albums in that way i think i don't know if thriller was delayed but i know every album after that was late by at i least don't a, even care if it was yes late. And, and that's what i'm saying you don't even cares. realize yeah. you don't you don't even CP know that time was, michael jackson yeah. albums I mean, on cp yeah and um, yeah, yeah and I, and Tosh, sorry, I just want to say I am currently looking up crow recipes so that when this docu-series comes you know, out, I, I would I would love I you know cook it up. I'll come back. It's not even about the crow aspect of it. It's, no, it's, let her eat it. We'll yeah, all no, eat a bunch of it. And you're welcome would like to come you back. To spread it. Yeah, yeah, I would like you to spread yeah, it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're happy to be back. Yeah, I would hey, Tosh, definitely come back. Yeah. I'll say on the podcast, you secured a, a donation right here, right now. Oh, from one no, of the users you know the thing too is and i actually did i took the donation page off a lot of stuff just because when, even when i started it was hard to ask fans for money that's not yeah. if anyone knows me in general that is not me at all but yeah. at the same time i i realized that there's no way that this would project would have started without some kind of help because if i went down the just the straight up distribution route and gave my project away i wouldn't have the control that i have in that so i knew that i couldn't do the traditional hey just go to netflix or let's go to amazon or hulu and just i'll sell the project to them basically um mm -hmm. because then they have some control over what is said and what is put in there and so i knew i couldn't go the traditional route so the the fandom and the support is what allowed us and i'm saying us as all collectively to to make this to the point where we're not beholden to them at all we're not beholden mm -hmm. to well we don't like that take that out or put that you know put more of that in put some more you know um I guess uh stank in there. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much that um they think that the controversy is what sells Michael Jackson, and that's not true at all. What sells Michael Jackson is the talent, what he did for the world, and his longevity of new generations learning and studying him and being born to love his music. Because millennials don't millennials and um Gen Zers don't really remember the controversies. 
And so for them to be that excited about the biopic really just means that they're excited about the man. It's all these older people like, you know, from my 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 generation upwards that, you know, that still believe the media doesn't lie to them, you know, when they lie to them every day. No, they, you know, they killed Fred Hampton. But anyway, that's another story. Um, Taj, (laughs) they did, you know, and they lied about it. And and Um, I want to say one more thing from your, you mm -hmm. guys, because we're all here, we're we're all black, and and it's a unique situation for me in that because you guys understand that. One of the things that my family and my uncle were very clear on is that when you do something as, as a black person, you have to do things three times as well just to get half the credit. Uh, and, say that again, because I don't think people truth. believe that. Please uh-huh. say that again. Say it one more time. Mm-hmm. When you, you do something it. as a black person, you have to do it three times as well to get half the credit. Amen. Uh, I grew up that way. I know that for a fact. I saw how my dad and my uncles grew up. If my if the Jackson Five were not black, every single white kid in America would know who they are and 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 be and they'd still be on the TV screens with their cartoons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. and so what they were able to accomplish at that period of time is amazing because they were called bubble gum music because white people liked them and black people liked them. I'm always amazed at the racial boundaries that my family were able to not only overcome, but shatter. And so that's why I'm like, I don't expect the media to give me anything in this, with this docuseries in in that way. So that's another reason why this has to be great because it's gotta be one of those things that word of mouth, is what makes people want to see this as well. Because, yeah, the Jackson fans will want to see it and the Michael Jackson fans will want to see it. I'm talking about the general public. It's got to be so good that the general public spreads it around. Absolutely. And I think, you know what? We got faith that that is possible and that that can definitely happen with your project, Taj. You have our, you have always had our full support. We have may have been dissenters in the sense of questioning things, but there has not been one episode where we have not said, listen, if you're believing what Taj is doing, what Taj is trying to do, support this, support his project. So listen, you got us. We'll continue to, we'll at you. We'll start adding you. Taj, what's up? You know, and, and that's cool because, you know, that's the thing, like people know we're really, we're really authentic, right? We're not going to hide the ball. We're not, because, now we all real family. We've been on this line for two hours. We family for real now. Like, I mean, and so we can talk to each other in a very open way. And we appreciate that. We want to pivot a little bit to some fun questions because we got, we got you on the heavy. We got a couple fun questions. I'm going to start it off. Okay. And this one might get you in trouble because it would get me in trouble. I'm not the one answering you are. So I don't, you know, we'll, we'll see. Okay. So everybody really want to see Taj's face for these, but I'm just going to contain my excitement. Go ahead. Listen, everybody knows grandma is the cook. She the one she can burn, right? Everybody wants grandma's cooking. But if grandma's not available to cook, it's one of the aunties that's gonna do it. Taj. Uh-huh. Who's the auntie that can burn for real? Is it Auntie Reby, Janet, or Latoya? Who can cook cook? Like you're like, I want a plate from them. Who can cook? I would probably say Auntie Reby. And I would say that because we have family gatherings um, when grandma's not cooking, Auntie Reby is. So I would say that she she would be the honorary member to cook. Um, I, I haven't seen, in all honesty, by Aunt Latoya or Janet cook. Uh, <laughs> I am not so, shocked. So, that so, is so not they're they're going to be disqualified just for that reason. <laughs> 
you know. But I, I kind of felt like it was Reby. We are, yeah, I think we all. Yeah, we all Reby. had already tagged Reby, but we just wanted to make sure we were right. Okay. You, you got, got it right on. You got it right on the thing. Yeah, the, yeah. I feel like Latoya could probably do a casserole. Y'all just don't know it. She got a oh, casserole. I, I think she can cook, but I, you said cook, cook. Yeah, cook, cook. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. use cook, cook, and that. And that's, <laughs> there's a little different, you know, some sauces and stuff in that. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> Auntie Reby. Yeah. Shout out to Auntie Reby, yeah. who can burn in the kitchen. We knew that. She sound like my Aunt Shirley. My show about you want a snack? She'll make some collard greens, some fried chicken, some cornbread. I'm like, this is not a snack. Not a snack. That's a meal, a meal. meal. Man, that's a, that's my type of snack. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and just for context, my auntie calls that a snack: some fried chicken, collard greens, stew beef, and potatoes. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I think that's why she says yeah. snack. When my aunt is like, snack. "Y'all want a snack?" Like she cooks a whole meal. We're like, "It's a whole meal." She was making a sandwich, but okay. So which one of your which one of your uncles can really get on the grill or cook? Who, who's the who's like the cook among the brothers? Wasn't it Marlon on the reality show? You know. It depends what it is. My dad is a good cook, especially when it comes to like any kind of uh, fish, catfish, anything like that. My dad, you know, is very good with that or, or, or ribs or anything like in those kind of things. I would say, whew, yeah, I would, uh, when it came to family gatherings, uh, yeah, my, my dad would probably have been the one to cook out of the brothers in that way. That I he that I in my memory have seen. He's the guy on the Tito grill. Jackson. I can he's see that. I he's see the guy that on the grill. Yeah, I, I, I see that too. If I had a vote, he'd be out, like if someone said uh, Uncle Jackie's cooking, I'd be like, okay, but I wouldn't. Off the cheese on the grill, I'd be like, okay, I know, I know what I'm getting. You know, you know what you're getting, right? Everybody got that one uncle. Like I'm gonna be on the grill. No, no, uncle. It was like, it was cousin Tony and 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 pop, my my dad that were like the grill ones in the yeah. Grill masters. Okay. Papa T, the grill master. We like it. And Auntie Reby, I bet Reby can burn, burn. You're she was taking care of I'm going to have to ask her. I'll out. ask her when next time I see her. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's her dish, you know? All right. User 1.5, what you got? Um, so I really just, so user one and I, we're, we're sisters and we come from a really large family. My grandmother had 10 children, um, much like your grandmother had nine children. Um, and so... It's really tough getting us all together. So when is the last time that you guys all just kind of got together and hung out? And what does that look like for you all now? Well, most of the time now, it's the cousins getting together because it's just so big. We yeah. did have an event, but even with that, it was more of the cousins. And I think my dad was there. Besides that, I don't want to bring things down, but it was probably when my grandfather passed and we, okay, we all went okay. to Vegas to see him. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, and I don't remember how many years ago that was, but that was, um, that was probably, it was, I think that was right before the pandemic. I'm just trying to remember, but um, yeah, I would say, I say, I would say that with the cousins, we kind of regularly try and make it a, a, a thing now, just like with back in the day, we used to do that a family day thing. We try and do that with my grandma regularly. That's cool. I always think about, I know this is so dated, but I always think about the 2300 Jackson Street video yeah. and yeah. how everybody looks so happy and like playing games. And that's kind of what our family used to do yeah. at my grandmother's house. We used to like cook out and play games and stuff in the yard. So um, I, I see a lot of parallels with your family and my family. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that so, yeah. so it's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was Family Day caught on film. The 20, you said it perfectly. 2300 Jackson Street was that, like what we used to do for Family Day. How cool is that? Yeah. And that was 2018 when your grandpa passed away. So, yeah, it's been the pandemic really put uh, a stop in a lot of things. Still. Yeah, yeah, you forget for real. what year it is. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was it. But yeah, same same for our family. It's and it's when you have a big family, it's really hard to get yeah. everybody like I'm 35. My sister is 36 and we have cousins who are, you know, in their 50s and like everybody. And then we have cousins who are, you know, teenagers. Like it's so difficult to coordinate all these things. So I definitely appreciate that difficulty. And as always, and I imagine your aunt Janet is the one like, we're Janet. There's always one person you're like, yeah, they said they was <laughs> why it's gotta be Janet? But did you <laughs> they said they was coming. But you know, it's hard because everybody's got different things. And you know, I come I mean coming from an entertainment family, of course that's just a whole nother level of different things going on like across mm-hmm. the world, you know? So that's hard, but yeah, family is family. You love them and you want to see them. And when you see them, it's all love and it's always a good time. Exactly. Oh, you, you said, where's Jackie at? Okay, I got you. Um, I've been holding on to this question <laughs> since three For years. Oh Lord, yeah, Inception. <laughs> Who was your hair braider? My hair braider, okay. The, with, with the 3T era, it was um, Carol Lemire, who's incredible. She also did a lot of stuff uh, for Michael and the In the Closet and all that stuff. She, um, But Carol Lemire, is, it was incredible. She's the one that came up with the idea for the braids. And I, I give all the credit to her. Now, recently, my wife has been doing it because of the pandemic, A, and B, because it's so many hours of sitting that when she learned how to do it, it was just easier to watch TV and her braid my hair at the same time. We divided up to the point where we'd watch something and it took probably about 10 or 11 hours. Carol could do it in eight hours. But um, yeah, that, so Carol Lemire and she's incredible. You guys should hit her up. Well, whoever wants you know their hair braided or extensions or anything like that, she's incredible. Hey, Les, we've got a hairstylist on the podcast. Usual 1.5 is our resident hairstylist. You know, but right. listen, uh, hairstylists need a hairstylist. So I'm here for it. And we're picky. <laughs> we're picky well, and we're crazy. So, you know, I love I'm it. taking notes right now. I'm hitting Carol up. Tell her I'm about to call it. <laughs> we're yeah. calling Carol. I mean, I've got locks, but if she can handle doing the braid, she can absolutely do that. But she can, of course. It. Every black person on planet Earth has had their hair braided at some time. So I just wanted to know your process. And we need yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Satisfied teenage Ashley. So we appreciate you. Oh, no, I, I love the braids. And, and to be honest, it um, I was shy back then, even shyer um, in high school. But then 3T kind of forced me to be less shy. But the braids were almost something that I could hide behind. And it, it kind of helped my persona because I was still shy being on stage and all that stuff. And it was just, it was more fake it till you make it in a way. Like I pretended to be more confident than I actually was. So it's been a journey with everything in that way. Now I'm thrusted into the spotlight with the with all the Michael stuff in that way, but I'm more comfortable in my shell now, especially when it comes to that stuff. Well, we sure love a Taj hair toss from back in the day. So. Oh, my gosh. You the ladies loved it. I mean, yeah, I the, mean, the braids yeah. were iconic, Taj. I'm telling you. Let, let me tell you really quickly. I did. I've done one performance without the braids and I turned my head and the braids didn't move because there was no braids. And I 
I honestly felt naked. I felt like my superpower had disappeared because no. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot how much I relied on that hair toss. You know that that <laughs> made me feel like I was doing something back then. Like, you know, because I didn't know oh, how to dance. Oh, you were Taj. You were doing that, something with the braids, honey. It's the it's the Taj shoulder bob with the hair toss with the streaks. Try to do a hair that. toss without any hair. That's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that I I will that still makes me cringe to this day because it, it literally it was almost like a superhero realizing they don't have the power anymore, the superpower anymore, and, and they thought they had it all that time, and so. Needless to say, I've not done another performance without the braids in. Well, you still have that shoulder bop though, and that in itself is like hard. <laughs> yeah, I got to see the shoulder bop thing because I don't. Maybe that's something out of my arsenal that I didn't even know I had. Look, it, it's you, you and TJ with the shoulder bop for sure. We'll give you an example here. Okay, because <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious. Oh, that, yeah, okay. I love that. I know exactly. <laughs> Ashley's been waiting all her life to do that. To do I that. give you oh, love. Yeah. You're damn right I have it. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'm going to have to throw that back. <laughs> you bring that back, Put it Taj. back in rotation, right? Bring it back. But thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. I know the, the Black Jackson State fans are going to love it. And having you during Black History Month has just been such an extreme pleasure. Thank you so much. Anything you want to say to the folks before we close out? No, I just, you know, for me, uh, I just, I, I want to say thank you to everyone in this uh, while I have the time. I appreciate any kind of feedback, even criticism in that way, because I'm not perfect. I need to learn as well and grow in that. Um, I can definitely say that with the docuseries in general, I think the team that I've put together, they're an all-star team, and I'm very proud of that. And it, it wasn't easy to put together, but I can say that the people working on this are the best people to be working on this. And so it's not only me behind this, it's, it's a bunch of great MJ fans that are not only just quote unquote MJ fans, they're experts in what they do. And so it's going to be made with not only a lot of love, but with a lot of expertise. So I'm just really excited about that. And you should be. I mean, listen, we have already said, listen, you come back, you're going to come back. You're going to come back, period. But you come back and say, I did it. It's done. It's out. It's moving. And we we definitely support the final product and we want to see it. We want to support it. And we want people to really know who your uncle was. That's so important. And, you know, when you really look at the concerted effort to obscure that, it makes it even more important. And yep. there there is an effort. Right. And we we've been able to see that and people think there's not. And then, like you said, the media will make you think, oh, you're crazy. Oh, no, 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 no. You're yeah. not crazy. You know, this is not, this is very intentional. It's very orchestrated. And we are going against the grain with that. And most recently that happened with the the, the fake songs yep. on the Michael album, right? For years, when that album first came out, I remember going to get it and I said, that ain't him. Yeah. I was like, huh, who's that? And, you know, for years, fans were being told, oh, they're crazy, they're out of control, they're insane. And now there has been, in the best way you could have, an acknowledgement that something's not right here. And so it's important. And I think going against the grain and going against powerful and very well-funded influential forces is difficult, period. And so big, and big, big, big off to you, Taj, for taking them on, taking on a, a major yeah. machine. And I want to give my brother Terrell credit for that because when those fake songs came out, he was the one was at the forefront. He was the one that took those arrows from people. He was the first one to hear it. 
and and make us think about it in that way. And um, I did see the toll that it took on him because mm-hmm. he was beat down from that. So I, I do want to give him a shout out because me and TJ at that point, we just rode his coattails for that aspect of it. But he was the one, he was the one that had studied my uncle's voice to, to the, to the T. I was going to say to the T, but it sounded weird, but, but to the point where he would go in studio and watch it, he would study that voice, I would always talk to my uncle about either Three Stooges or film stuff or TV stuff. TJ would talk about real estate or kids and in general, like, because Prince and Royal were kind of, you know, of an eight, same age. And so they would talk about raising kids and stuff like that. And Terrell would strictly talk to my uncle about music. If you want, if if someone said, here's a certain amount of money, write the closest Michael Jackson song you could write that that embodied him. I, all my money, I don't care if it was Teddy Riley or Babyface or or anyone else that had worked with him, that had written hit, hits with him, Rodney Jerkins, I put all my money on Terrell because Terrell can do any style and Terrell knew what, Terrell encompassed what my uncle taught him in that way, as opposed to my uncle went to the, those guys for style and flavor, but it was my uncle that was providing the guidance well, ter- that's what he did with Terrell was gave him that guidance. So I would, I would, um, hundred percent, you know, I'm giving little, pro- not used to giving props to my middle brother, but you know, or <laughs> my little brother, but giving props to Terrell because, you know, he's, he's, um, I've always said he's, he's a producer that, uh, a lot of people, they heard his remix of, of the Chicago song, you know, he did a special remix of it. And, um, a lot of people love that remix even better than the original. Hold up, where is that? Hold on. It is better than the original, and it gives me goosebumps. Like, Uh, Yeah, I don't think I've heard that. I'm going to tell you his big contribution in this song was he took this guitar riff you know that you know that sound the guitar gives that that drives Michael crazy. Mm-hmm. You know the the sound that we get from songs like "Given to Me" and yep. "Dirty Diana," both on uh, in the studio and on uh, you know during live performances or what have you. He added that guitar to that song, and my God, I just I was just like, "Hold up, did Michael do?" Uh, you know, like <laughs> is this Michael idea? Like, what's going on here? Like, it was yeah. good. It was it was so good. We know Terrell is a deep studier of his uncle, so I need the link. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, I'll make sure you get it as well. Yeah, we need that. And shout out to Terrell. Shout out to TJ. Big thank you to Taj. I mean, you guys are really, you guys had such a, a special relationship with your uncle. And it's so, I think it's just beautiful to see it manifest in this way now that he's no longer here and he doesn't have this active voice that you guys become that active voice for him. I think we can all agree to that as fans, just seeing it because we watch you guys and we watch Michael's relationship with you. There's so many things we don't know. And so when you add all that up to what we do know, it's just beautiful to see you have his back because to be not here physically at least to me does not mean that you're gone right there's still a a spirit and a soul of you that exists and you guys are so integral in making sure that that is not even attacked and diminished by these forces and so Taj listen keep doing you and know that you have the support of so many people us included to finish your project and to really you like earlier this week you took a lot of heat on Twitter and I just respect how you kind of bounce with it good 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 for you because the Uh internet is a terrible place oh yeah and, it, reminded you know. <laughs> it reminded me don't worry 
I was like, <laughs> it's, it's a terrible place. Yeah. And that you've handled yeah, things I, with so much, so much grace, Tosh. Uh-huh. Well, no, I thank you. Thank you. I mean, look, it's sometimes you step in certain things. Sometimes you don't in whatever um, majority of what I said, I, I, I meant, which is why I didn't take it down in that way. And so for me in, in anything that I do and what I, what I tweet, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I will take it down. I'll apologize. I've, I've done that plenty of times in certain things, but um, one of the things you will not do, if I, if I know I'm right, I will stick by that until I'm proven wrong. And, and that's kind of, the the mo that i've had with the whole michael thing no one can tell me who my uncle is better than i can in that way i lift it so you, you a stranger is not going to be able to tell me who michael jackson was and that's that on that and y'all can take that to the bank so we appreciate you taj we i appreciate be clear you guys. yeah absolutely we listen you are welcome anytime anytime you want to chop it up you can hit us up anytime that we have something we think you might want to join in on we will definitely hit you back yeah. We hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation with Taj. We're so glad he came. And Dr. Green, we are so lucky to still have Dr. Green here with us to talk about some amazing influences of Michael Jackson when it comes down to his dance and how he learned all those slick moves. There's so many people that influenced this man's evolution of dance. And you can see that evolution from the little boy auditioning for Motown to the grown man. That evolution is definitely there. And we're excited to talk about some of the great black pioneers of dance who influenced Michael Jackson, some of which are older than him, some of which are younger than him. He was not afraid to to learn from anyone who had something of value that could enhance what he was doing. Michael Jackson said once in 1991, the world we live in is the dance of the creator. Dancers come and go in the twinkling of an eye, but the dance lives on. And that's what we're celebrating today. Let's start off with someone we can't talk about, Michael Jackson and his footwork without acknowledging. And that is Mr. Dynamite himself, James Brown. And we know we've talked about James Brown before on the podcast, but you can't really say it enough. The Godfather is soul, soul brother number one. 50 years of music in the pop, popular culture and his influence. And that definitely had a big impact on a young Michael Jackson. I want to kick it to everyone on the show right now. And let's start with you, Dr. Green. James Brown, born in Barnwell, South Carolina. Michael Jackson was always very vocal about how James Brown influenced his career to the place that when James Brown passed away, he was at that funeral. Talk a little bit about James Brown and his influence on Michael Jackson's dance step. James Brown's influence on Michael Jackson is, I mean, it can't be understated. From the time he first uh, graced the stage for a public audience, um, not, you know, um, not yet with Motown, to the time he attended James Brown's funeral, Michael has always always uh, stated that, you know, James Brown was not just his idol, but also his mentor. And when Michael was younger, we would see him do, people forget Michael Jackson used to do splits and everything, right? (laughs) You know, like back in his Motown years and, you know, his evolution into a teen, like there are performances out there with him mimicking James Brown. And then of course, you know, the, the leg shuffle that, you know, Michael would do solely inspired by James Brown himself 
in fact, you know, we just refer to it as Michael Jackson doing James Brown. That used to be one of my favorite highlights in Wannabe starting something on the Dangerous Tour. There was always that uh, spot where he would do the James Brown, right? <laughs> you know, uh, James Brown has heavily influenced Michael and uh, we have to also acknowledge that James Brown was influential to, you know, younger artists as well, um, not just Michael Jackson, but of course Prince, right? And uh, other musicians as well, you know, who, you know, who looked at James Brown as an, you know, inspiration. And one thing I want to highlight about James Brown is whenever Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated, there was this um, uprising going on in Boston. and. Uh, you know, James Brown put on a show. That show stopped riots that were erupting and taking place all around the country over the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. It was said after that, if a man has a power to stop a riot, he has the power to start one. And James Brown uh, shortly then become unbeknownst himself under investigation by, you know, entities like the FBI. And then we all know his IRS woes and so on and so forth. And you have to understand Michael Jackson knew knew exactly what I'm telling you guys as well. You know, Michael just didn't take uh, you know, from uh, you know, James Brown, you know, his 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 dancing and you know, uh his stage performance and so on and so forth. There were lessons that he took from James Brown just living his life as well. Let yeah. me tell you this, the IRS, oh boy, they stay on somebody, don't Ooh. they? They about to make me a Republican. My God. They get in your pocket so deep. I mean, this is how they take you out, right? And that's how they took James. They stayed in James Brown kitchen, whatever little kitchenettes he had, radio stations he owned. Talking about, let me see the books. I mean, and you got to think, like, oh, well, he should pay his taxes. That's not it. This very targeted because exactly what Dr. Green is saying, they knew the influence he had. And that is 1000% correct. James Brown was able to take his, his talent was so great. It influenced other areas of everyday life for black people. And Michael had the same ingredient and some of the, that ingredient, some of them sauces and spices came from James Brown. That is a thousand percent correct. And James Brown was very vocal about things, right? And he even talked about in his career, how his advancement and advocacy for black America cost him in his professional life. And he's not wrong, but those dance steps, they, they started it because people couldn't figure out how in the world he was doing this. Michael Jackson even said, I wanted them, you know, in his Oprah interview, he said they were showing him head to shoulder and I wanted them to show them feet because the dude has some footwork that just cannot be matched. So I'm glad you brought up the Dangerous Tour because that's where you see a lot of that Michael Jackson footwork that comes from James Brown. And in that performance where James Brown brought Prince and Michael on stage, Michael Jackson just pays homage in that moment to James Brown. He does the James Brown footwork. James Brown was absolutely phenomenal. I We watched a documentary about James Brown. It was called Mr. Dynamite. And James Brown, first of all, was a character. He was, I mean, Dynamite was, is was the word, right? He would come out of the gate just, I don't even know how he had the energy to do everything he did. A lot of times I look at James Brown's dancing and I look at Michael and I'm like, Michael slowed it down a little bit so you could kind of see the footwork a little cleaner because James Brown came out like a daggone racehorse at the Kentucky Derby. You know what I mean? Like he was, boom, like if you didn't catch him, you didn't catch him. So no list would be complete without the godfather of soul michael has said 
50 11 times that this man was the one of the single biggest influences on his entire career and he deserves to be number one on every single list if we're going to talk about people who influenced michael jackson i would agree with that i want to also add one last thing about mr brown as well um, back in the day, whenever he was touring, you know, like sometimes he and Little Richard, they would tour the same circuits. That's what they would call, you know, the touring route or whatever, you know, back in the day when they were just packing on, packing in on, on, on a bus, travel the country and so on and so forth. And then they would get to what is known as the Chitlin cir uh, circuit. That's the Southern circuit. And, you know, like, um, obviously, you know, like times were different at that point in time. Hard to say that they're, uh, you know, that much different nowadays even. But, you know, times were a lot different, I guess you could say, back then. And, you know, uh, segregation was still a thing even back then as well. You know, James Brown was warned about you know, doing some of the shows at some of the venues in the South or whatever, you know, because his life was any black performer, not just Brown, but any black performer of that time, their life was at risk just for traveling the South. It's just how, I mean, it just was, you know, that's the unfortunate reality that they lived in at that point in time. James Brown was like, he would brush off what they were saying. He was like, uh-uh, if Little Richard performed there, I want to perform there and I want to do one better than he did. Reverend Al Sharpton, he tells the story that, you know, James Brown, he was talking to Mr. Brown one day and, uh, you know, Brown told him, he said, I just wanted to perform for, uh, for the people, whether they were black, white, whatever. I prefer my people. I want to, I want to perform for my people, you know? So he wasn't scared. And then James Brown, um, he said something uh, to Al Sharpton that Al said that stuck with him for his entire life. And he said to Al, he said, Al, I would rather doubt, uh, die on my feet than to live on my knees. And I would have been living on my knees if I did not perform for my people. So Brown knew he was risking it all. You know, I, I like to call it risking it for the biscuit, you know, but he knew he was risking it all. He was uh, traveling the Chitlin circuit and that's what he wanted to do. That's what he did. And Michael, Michael understood that. Michael knew what James Brown risked uh, to do the things that he did to entertain the people that loved him. And, um, you know, another thing that Michael stated as well, in one interview, he said, and he was referencing Brown, we know he was, without using James Brown's name. He said, I don't want to be one of those performers who have to keep performing, you know, until I'm dead or until I die. That's what he said. And that's what James Brown did. James Brown performed all the way until the day that he died because he had to because of what I previously stated about the IRS, you know, sh shut his radio stations down, his businesses, and, you know, coming after his money and, and all. So. Well, James has some other stuff going on, too, um, not to mention that little child he died with. How old was that little boy? By that lady that said that she was baby his wife. Was five. He was like, I mean, he, he had so people to he take care so of. <laughs> you like, know, I, I mean, it, yes, the IRS got him. Yes, they, they did. did. Oh, but also, James Brown was out here doing some other off, you know, side business too. So <laughs> living uh, his best life. Yeah. Can, Say I it loud. Give, can I just give Augusta GA a shout out real quick? I, I recently took a trip there. It was so cool to see how they have a James Brown statue. Oh, right I was so glad downtown. you saw that. I'm yes. so glad you saw that. Yes. And, I was, and, 
And, and standing beside it, I'm a I'm a whopping five three, Andrew. So standing beside it and saying, "Oh, James Brown was kind of tiny." Um, <laughs> I'm I'm twelve inches taller than you are. <laughs> okay, well, make make me feel insecure like the rest of the pod does. But the little people caucus was really delighted to see that. Not but the little people caucus. He's a, he was a small dude. Yeah, I think he was like five six five. Six. He was not a he was not a, a tall guy at all. Yeah, and he just. No. That he had so much power. Like again, if you just think about fundamentally how the the mayor of Boston and the governor of Massachusetts was like, we don't know what to do with these colored people. Get James Brown here. That's all <laughs> yeah. they could think to do, and it actually worked. It just it just really speaks to like how big of a celebrity he was at that time. But but Dr. Green, you said you've seen that statue too. Yeah, I I saw the, I saw the statue for the very first time. The year before uh, James died, because here's the thing: James Brown is to my dad what Michael Jackson is to me. I've always had this deep knowledge about uh, James Brown or whatever, and, and it really comes uh, from my dad. You know, like my dad has James Brown documentaries and books, and you know his performances and stuff like that. Uh, I had to see the statue. Um, whenever I went to Augusta and, you know, I almost cried to be quite frank with you. I almost cried. Now, again, M James hadn't died yet at this time when I saw the statue, but when I saw that statue, I mean, you know, I mean, I just think about, because I think James Brown said that, you know, he also was, he, he spent a lot of his childhood in Barnwell, South Carolina, in pretty much a wooden shack that did not, uh, you know, maintain its heat or whatever in the uh, wintertime or, you know, definitely there was no air conditioning and stuff like that. And, you know, um, that shack is actually still up. And he said that uh, he used to watch his family members prostitution is the oldest profession in the world and uh, you know that's what his family members would the females and his family members would do is you know sell themselves or whatever and uh, you know i mean james you know like you know he learned at a very early age you know what sex was and what those women were doing and uh you know there's a lot of history with james he did he definitely did and yeah he he's just like you said he has who would have who could have imagined right you think about his very humble beginnings and what he ended up becoming even more so you know all these entertainers in the black tradition sometimes i think we forget most of them came from very 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 humble beginnings and reached amazing heights james brown is definitely one of those michael credits so much of his success in his lifetime he credited so much of it to the work that came before him from james brown so james brown we can't even talk about Michael Jackson's dance influences without talking about James Brown. And so shout out to the never duplicated, always imitated James Brown, whether it's Michael Jackson or Bruno Mars, James Brown continues to show up in popular culture. Yes. And I just want to say one more thing about James Brown. He was larger than life. He's one of the few people on this list that if you say his name, everybody knows who he is. Everybody and knows. Shout out to Chadwick Boseman. May he rest in peace for bringing James Brown's story oh, to the big Oh, he did screen. it, didn't he? Because when yeah. I tell you I felt like I was watching Godfather James, it, he did a fantastic <laughs> job. Mr. Bird. And Mr. Bird. Right, Mr. Brown. Mr. Bird. I mean, and when he said the funk don't quit, because if it quit, you, you, you something, I don't know what he said. I can't even remember now, but I was like, if this man is not James Brown from yeah, he did Barnwell, that. 
So shout out to Chadwick Bozeman on the other side, wherever he Not is. On the other side. Another South Carolinian that we can live. He up. sure is. Chadwick was from Anderson. So many, many great, many, many great performers. But shout out to James Brown, the first person on our list in honoring Michael Jackson's dance teachers and influences. Another of the same time period, but he just has such a totally different sound and move in his pelvis or whatever. Mr. Jackie Wilson, they called him Mr. Excitement, born in Michigan in 1934. He was I mean, first of all, not just Michael Jackson, you're talking about Elvis Presley. So many people grabbed from Jackie Wilson and his stage performance and how he moved his body. Another big dance and body influence from Michael Jackson. This guy could sing. He could dance. He had the ladies going crazy. Definitely inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987 after he passed away. Let's talk a little bit about Mr. Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson is the one that Michael got the the spin around and drop to your knees and then cry with the microphone on the floor from. So think, uh, make that your uh, man in the mirror mm-hmm. when Michael would spin around and drop That's down. Jackie. That's mm-hmm. Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson. And it's so iconic. It is. I refer to, you know, Jackie Wilson as well, of course. Like you just stated there, that's what I refer to as stage theatrics right and what michael was doing when he was younger watching you know wilson from the wings or what have you is he was he was taking in those uh stage theatrics and listen jackie wilson was the type of good looking black man who would get on that stage and would leave with 50 pairs of panties and 20 uh, you know like uh 20 bras or whatever because they were being thrown at him you know a lot of michael jackson dance moves as well as his singing notes were highly influenced by wilson as well wilson wowed audiences with his you know physical dance and his stage prowess just like what my just like what people would say about Michael, you know, Jackie defied the laws of gravity. But here's the thing: Jackie was unique in the public eye, but he wasn't, I guess, so unique in the black community because the things that uh, Jackie was doing on stage, this is what they were doing at the hole in the walls, right? You know, and like in church, for sure. yeah, and and yeah, in church. and in church. Yeah. It's just that Jackie was a good-looking man. You know, that, you know, managed to, you know, get a microphone in his hand and, you know, be public with it, you know, but this is something that, you know, I mean, I mean, I appreciate Jackie introducing America to something that, you know, our grandparents already were experiencing and everything, but um, Michael himself used to, you know, watch Jackie, like I said, perform live in person in the wings. In fact, in his 1984 Grammys statement, now keep in mind that um, that year, Jackie also died. Jackie died young. Um, I think he, how old was he when he died? Like 49 or something like that? He had, yeah, he, he, had had he wasn't attack. quite 50 yet. Yeah, it was before he had his good. heart attack. Yeah. And then he was in the convalescent home, I think for like another 10 years. So he had his heart yeah. attack at like 30 yeah late 30s yeah that's right that's right it because that's what that made him funeral, stop performing right? yeah, yeah that was i thought that was a uh, elvis i think elvis paid for that one. Oh, you're right El- yes yeah, elvis, elvis did. did pay for that elvis one. michael did. paid for david ruffin he did michael right. paid for ruffin but uh michael said at that uh award show he said some people are entertainers and some people 
are great entertainers. Some people are followers and some people make the path and are pioneers. I'd like to say that Jackie Wilson was a wonderful entertainer. And he was. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Jackie has been involved in some controversies and so on and so forth. But one thing that we cannot strip him from is uh, his ability to entertain and do it well. I mean, that's why Elvis was a big fan, right? Yes, well, he he yeah. had that special sauce that nobody else had. I also just want to call out a very small note about Jackie Wilson that I think is like really important in the evolution of the modern day, probably the black male pop star, but really the pop star overall. Jackie Wilson, alongside Little Richard, was one of the first to be out here with a full beat face. I love that about him because you go back and watch Jackie Wilson footage and you can tell I forget what Little Richard said it was called Pancake 25. I don't know what their Fenty number was back then. Little Richard was still put on a face, too. Just so y'all know. Oh, oh, yes, oh to the day. The, the only time he ain't had no face on was that saved era, that era when he was saved. Yeah, and when he passed away, he got super saved, so he definitely wasn't beating his face. But, anymore. and that was, I think, in what, the, the late 70s, early 80s, he was real saved. He cut all, he took the wings Oh, yeah, off but, then he, but, but then, then he came, came back. back. Yeah, then he, he came, came back, back and he beat his face. Mm-hmm. And then he did, you know, maybe right before the pandemic, he was off that hardcore. He, little Richard ventured into <laughs> the homophobic lane, but that's neither here nor there. Jackie Wilson used to have a full beat face. If you go watch his old footage, even in black and white, you can tell, like, my man's had a nice face beat, gave us, gave us a little pop of eyeliner, and it made all the difference back it then. Did. And it's so oh, yeah. fun to go back and watch that footage, especially the artists you can tell that were doing it themselves. Like you can tell Diana Ross was doing her own makeup. No Stop shade. It. And that's my Stop girl. It. Let's be clear. That's my queen. That was but super some... shady. No, but if Stop. you go back and look at some of her pictures, some of that eyeliner was just like, oh yeah, she was experimenting. And sometimes it came out great. Sometimes it was. So <laughs> you can well, tell that in the black too, and white. You can tell that in the black and white because there's a lot of oh, black and white. Which... You can't, but I think that's the fun thing about most black performers who came through that black and white era. If you look at the photographs, you can see it. And again, makeup has evolved. Of course, they were probably using real life color pencils back then. So, you know, listen, the benefit of hindsight. But um, I just love that fun fact about Jackie Wilson. And someone mentioned that. She did. She certainly did. Now, someone also mentioned that. Jackie was performing in a suit or whatever, and, and with makeup. Keep in mind that a lot of the venues that our black performers were allowed to perform at back then, they weren't even air conditioned. <laughs> like they had a fan at most, and not like some heavy, heavy duty metal fan like we would see at stages nowadays. Like you know, it's these rinky deep plastic fan, and you know, it may or may not cool them down. <laughs> but you know, like I mean, I mean, he had to be hot. He yeah. had to be. Oh, yeah. They all did. I That's think a about, really good point. Think about Ike and Tina. I mean, I know we're off of Jackie talking about Ike and Tina, but think about how hard Ike had them Ikeettes working with no fan. Tragedy. I mean, shit, I'm thinking about the Jacksons with no fan. Like, my... They were children. I mean, children are fine. That's how you get your six-pack. That's how you get your six-pack. No fan, no real air. No, seriously. Lots of movement. Sweat it out. 
Twitter that's why new that's why no matter how long new edition tours they can't get them six packs back because they not sweating it out like they were the <laughs> i don't like video. this conversation <laughs> you're not working hard enough she said you're not working hard enough <laughs> oh god who's next on the list oh man i'm now i'm just thinking about the last video i saw bobby brown on, on with them that's he's definitely he not sweating to, he enough. got to sweat it out <laughs> not sweating enough not sweating. But, okay jackie wilson the man I mean, Michael Jackson took so much from him. And I think somebody already said on the podcast, Michael Jackson gave a big shout out to him at the Grammys in 1984 when he won all those awards and Ma- and uh, Jackie Wilson had passed away. He took some time to really pay homage to him. So Jackie Wilson, again, another pioneer in Michael Jackson's music repertoire. And we give him honor on this podcast. Next, we're moving on to someone who I bet many of you guys have no idea who he is. Charles Atkinson, a.k.a. Charlie Atkins, born September 30th, 1913 in Alabama, and he passed away in 2003 in Las Vegas. And before this list came out, I know y'all heard the name Charlie Atkins. I know y'all on this line did. Where did you first hear it? Just tell me. Who, where? where, What movie? What what? On the Temptations movie. Straight up. Okay, that's oh, you. Yeah. What about everybody else? Where y'all hear where y'all hear this name first? I was gonna say it's probably from my um one of my best friend's mother, actually. And then the next time I heard it was, you know, Temptations. I refuse to let you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. God, I tell you, man, what I love that movie. <laughs> uh, I could quote yeah. that entire movie, but that's not that look, we're gonna do that one day on a podcast. Go ahead. Uh use oh. it too. I'm going to round it out here. Definitely heard about Charlie Atkins the first time in the Temptations TV miniseries. But I also want to state how, (laughs) what my big age was by the time I realized, oh, they were trying to say Charlie, but they just had an accent. So it was Charlie. (laughs) No, that's actually not it. That's actually not it. Usually too. No, apparently, and I didn't put this in the notes, but apparently there's another performer whose name was Charlie and he got, you know, exposure to this person. And so he was trying to think of a stage name that would work because he needed to shorten up Charles Atkinson. Right. And so that's how we got, he had heard of this other performer named Charlie, which honestly, I thought it was the same thing you said too, until I started researching this guy. He heard there's another performer named Charlie. It kind of makes sense though. And then he yeah. shortened Atkinson into Atkins. So we got Charlie Atkins. Why did people back then feel the need to change their name into like everybody did that? The movie stars, everybody did that. They would shorten their name or change their name to, I guess, maybe something more digestible. But Charles Atkinson is not that hard. Well, they you thought know. y'all dummies needed something a little simpler. Okay, well, I'm right. Saying, it's all, I it's feel all subjective. It's all subjective. Because <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody kind of just made up these names, like taking off the sun as an extra syllable was just going to make you that much more popular. It, all stupid Hollywood stuff that probably didn't matter, ultimately. He is definitely someone that maybe not, may not be in a lot of fans repertoire, but he actually started out as a tab dancer and he created what is known as vocal choreography. And that is where, so back in the day, y'all know this singers used to just stand and snap, you know, like thinking like the corner, you know, little groups or whatever, stand and snap. Or Everybody just like referenced the temptations movie again. Remember when Paul said y'all sound great, but what is this? 
lot of lot of lot of standing, a lot of snapping. Okay. Charlie Atkins came from a dance, uh, uh, from a jazz and a Broadway sort of space. And he actually was a part of a, a, a tap dance duo before he actually moved into the Motown space. He invented what's called essentially vocal choreography, where the dance the singers learn to do dance steps and movements that go with their song. And so every time you see, especially in Motown, he was brought on for in Motown as a part of their when the artist, artist development, development. So he comes on as a part of art artist development, that whole group. And his whole job is to teach these dancers, these kids really how to sing and dance while they're singing, because that's not what was happening. He teaches the Supremes. He teaches the Temptations famously. So many uh, Martha Reeve and the Vandellas. He teaches all those early big Motown acts how to do this sort of singing and dancing. And there's a direct line between what Charlie Atkins was doing and Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 and what they learned and how they learned to be performers because they were learning from a lot of the groups at Motown. So Charlie Atkins, who he said in his book, he said, listen, I never actually worked directly with the Jackson 5, but they would stand in the wings and in the corner while I was choreographing other groups. So much so they were picking stuff up and the temptation said to Charlie at one point, why are you teaching them all our moves? So these kids were just absorbing at Motown what he was doing and what he was putting on the scene. He is a such a big influence in dance, especially popular dance culture. And he he can't not be mentioned in Michael Jackson's dance influence. Yeah. So you know when Michael says, I think he said it on more than one occasion, top of that, he says, study the greats and become greater. And Charlie is one of those greats that he studied just because, you know, I mean, someone might not necessarily have, you know, public clout. That does not mean that they're not great because if you take the look at some of like some of history's past artists who, you know, I mean, their work was all but forgotten and then all of a sudden rediscovered. And, you know, now, you know, they're, they're in, in, in the history books of some of the greatest artists of all time. And, you know, uh, Charlie is one of those people, you know, like, I mean, not not too many people know about him. I mean, they don't, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, he didn't have the clout that uh, some of the listeners here might want him to have or so on and so forth. But he was one of the greats that our dearest Michael studied. Oh, yeah. And and Charlie was he as user one said, he famously worked with the Temptations. And I think we all remember how crisp their dance steps were. The Supremes were not as crisp, but they did what they did. But even Joseph, I think Michael, (laughs) I love (laughs) y'all. Even Joseph, at one point, I think Michael said that Joseph wanted them to study, wanted Michael to like study David Ruffin. And what he was doing, because David Ruffin had done the the microphone thing where he would throw it up and do a spin and catch it and go into a split. And, you know, that was something that Michael did, I think, for his Motown audition. We know that that Michael was watching these these great entertainers, or at least Joseph was, and passing that along. And Charlie Atkins is direct line, direct line. And I love the mastermind behind it. I love that he's getting, getting more recognition than just a shout out in, in the Temptations movie. I mean, we've probably each of us on this podcast right now have probably watched the Temptations movie a million times. We can quote it. A million and one. But for people who haven't watched it, they have no idea who he is. They, they, they probably think that the Temptations woke up one day and was like, this is the dance moves we're going to do. You know what I mean? But there's somebody behind that. 
And yeah. so I'm so happy that we're able to to give him the credit he deserves because without him, there would be no Jackson Five in their cute little bell bottoms doing their little dance steps. And oh, not oh, just oh, oh. Jackson Five, a couple of those other groups too, because I think some member of the, the, the temptation said nobody was re- everyone had to go through Motown development but nobody was really giving Charlie Atkins the time of day because they thought the dancing was outdated and it didn't make sense but the temptations actually worked with it and it stuck so after that everybody started taking choreography a little bit seriously and now you can't get through the fundamentals of artist development without a choreographer so thank you Charlie for setting the standard. I was going to say, look no, at what ahead. we're doing here at the same time. I mean, uh, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that have no clue who Charlie is, but it's taken, it, it, it's taking people like us, you know, Mike, you know, Michael Jackson fans to actually highlight who he is. I think that speaks volumes for, uh, you know, being a Michael Jackson fan, because when you're a Michael Jackson fan and are a Michael Jackson fan in the Black community, you know things like this, and now others are learning things like this. And this is something uh, very valuable to take here. Absolutely. And I hope people feel the same way when they listen to this content, because and I think it was you, Dr. Green, I'm not sure who said that Joe was having them learn all these David Ruffin moves. And Barry Gordy even says that in his book, he said they were like five little David Ruffins that spoke directly to right, like the performance of David Ruffins, which was directly influenced and choreographed by Charlie Atkins. It's all like like it's all it's all it's all connected. It's all in there together. And somebody else said you know, he wasn't given his due. And he actually, his wife, after he passed away, and I didn't put this in the notes, it's just something I was reading. She said that on the Motown 25 special, he was supposed to actually introduce the temptations. And here's why this is important. Barry Gordy had his artists tell people in interviews, oh, we, we do our own choreography. We, we teach, our, you know, we created ourselves. That obviously was is not true. There was a whole team behind everything. I mean, that artist development wasn't just choreography. It was how you talk, how you walk. I mean, like, you know, back in the day, they had like those finishing schools or like finesse school, whatever it is, like where girls learn how to really be whatever. They He had those sorts of people in artist development teaching these kids that just came from Black America how to be more refined. That went to the Supremes. That went to everybody. And so oh, there was a whole bunch of adequate schools. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yep, etiquette schools. Yeah, he he brought all of that in for these artists, so that in his whole goal was to get them to these supper clubs that black people normally weren't at, to get them into these white spaces. So he developed this all around them. Nothing was by accident. But what he would tell his artists is to say, "Hey, if you get asked about your dancing." say that you did it yourself. And so that's what they did. So Charlie really didn't get that recognition. So fast forward to Motown 25, he's supposed to introduce the temptations and literally right before he's supposed to do it, or like the day before his wife says he finds out that it's been cut. So he doesn't get to introduce them. And it really hurt him. And I do think at some point, Diana Ross did acknowledge him like, in the public sphere of he's the guy behind all these things that you're seeing. So it is important to give people their props where it's due, you know, and Barry Gordy had his own reasons for not wanting to kind of expose the ingredients of how he was doing things, but it still makes sense to let people know, like these people didn't just create this on their own. There are a bunch of people behind them that helped influence this. Yeah. I mean, and I think that was, the, uh, that's a sign of the times too. Y'all know I'm really into 
old Hollywood, 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Everybody did that. You know what I mean? This, like, even with the Hollywood studios, the studios basically told the people what to do. And then they pretended like it was their own idea. They would tell people who to marry. They would tell people where to live because they wanted to create this image of like, I woke up like this, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, that that's just a sign of the times, but yeah, Charlie definitely deserves all the credit that he, that he is now getting from us and hopefully will get, continue to get in the future because he was absolutely incredible. He really was. And a, a funny fact, so he stopped working for Motown, um, I think in the late 60s or well, in the early 70s. And that's when the Jackson 5 were coming along and he was actually offered a job. They were shutting down artist development because I think to user two's point, artists didn't want to go do it. And so Barry Gerda was like, well, forget it then. If you want to learn how to dance or whatever, you pay for it yourself. I'm done having this piece for you. So I guess they wanted to keep Charlie on. So they offered him a job as an advisor, uh, as an assistant to Suzanne DePass, who was the advisor to the Jackson Five. And in his book, he says, and this is a quote, at the time, I didn't feel like taking a job under someone whose expertise I had no respect for. Which shows you how wrong I was. Seemed to me, Suzanne didn't know a lot about the business then, but obviously she knew enough because she's had a great deal of success since then. Charlie had an opportunity to to kind of work with the Jackson five um, and stay on, but he did not respect Suzanne to pass at that point in time, but was able to come back later and say, you know what? I was wrong. And she's, she ended up being pretty phenomenal. Now you think that's because she was a woman. Yeah, probably. And she was young, you know, right, a young woman. She didn't have a lot of experience. She didn't have a lot of experience and he's someone who's so seasoned in his, you know, craft and what he does. I could see how, you know, you kind of dismiss her. So Charlie Atkins, another performer we have to give a lot of props and shout out to for Michael Jackson's evolution in dance and step. And we are moving forward into some ladies who also have influenced Michael Jackson. Let's talk a little bit about Miss Demita Joe Freeman, one of the best soul train dancers, period ever. And what did Michael take from her? Well, he learned a lot about the robot and locking from Miss Demita Joe Freeman, and she actually got her start in ballet. So that's how she learned to dance. She started as a ballet dancer and then got into much more uh, nuanced steps that were coming out of Black America and the Black community. What do you, what did you know about Demita Joe Freeman before today? What was your exposure to this particular artist? Not a thing. today, uh, Demita was, she was the reason why Soul Train became hip, if you will, or was hip. Um, because, I mean, Soul Train, its debut, you know, I mean, it was just a hip production to begin with for, for our people. But, I mean, I can remember my mom telling me, like, she used to, like she used to turn on Soul Train and one of the people that she learned a great deal her dance moves from, my mom, believe it or not, is capable of dancing far better than I am, is Demita. And I didn't pay much attention to her or whatever. I mean, because she predates me or what or whatnot. And, you know, at this point, I'm a Michael Jackson fan anyway. But I was interested in my mom. And I was like, you know, I was like where do you get all this flavor from when you're dancing, you know? <laughs> like, 
And she told me. All the me, juice oh, coming from. Right. 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 Where's this juice coming from, huh? You know, like, and, you know, she, 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 she told me that she used to watch Soul Train or what have you. Her brothers, you know, like they, they weren't really into it or whatever, but, you know, she was young and she knew what the uh, younger crowd uh, liked or whatnot. And, you know, she and my mom, she was just she was a club hopper, you know. Uh, so I knew vaguely about who Demita was from my mother. And, um, you know, but, you know, I didn't know. And and if you ask my mom, she'll probably tell you she's probably the greatest soul, soul, ta- soul train dancer, period. End of story. So that's how I learned of Demita prior to today. Yeah, Soul Train was such a huge thing in the Black community. I mean, I just remember watching, like I was born in 86, right? So Soul Train was in its, um, in not in the Don, well, maybe Don was still there in 86, but I definitely remember the Shamar Moore era more. I remember watching Good Times and they do in Soul Train line on Good Times or going to a house party or being with, with our cousins and, and, oh, okay. Soul train line, soul train. So soul train is one of those phenomenons in the black community that transcends, uh, generations. Everybody knows something about soul train. These dancers that were the first real dancers featured dancers on soul train. They all went on to do some incredible things. Fred Berry from What's Happening was on Soul Train. He was a Soul Train dancer. Demita Joe Freeman. But Soul Train was such a, a cultural phenomenon in the Black community. And so it makes sense that one of the dancers or some of the dancers from this show would have influenced Michael Jackson for his dance steps because that they were the hippish the hippest trip on TV, right? So this is what was happening in the streets. And for somebody like Michael, who was sheltered, uh, who was going to Kingdom Hall and knocking on doors, talking about, do you know Jesus? This was his, this was how he was going to get to see what was happening in the inner cities. Absolutely. And she actually talks about going to the Jackson's house to teach them dance, you know, to teach them the dance steps they were seeing on Soul Train, they learned so much, especially in the 70s. If you look at their moves, not just Michael, the whole family, the whole, the Jacksons, the Jackson 5, if you look at their moves, it's exactly what you're seeing on Soul Train. They were being directly influenced by what was happening on Soul Train and the dancers from there. And she was one of them. And I think it was like her third appearance on Soul Train when James Brown was on. And he literally pulled her up on stage and said, I, you got to dance with me. That literally, like, how many people can say that? That uh, James Brown pulled you up on stage and said, you've got to dance with me. And that happened to Jamita Joe Freeman. And Siska danced. She was so integral to the entire show for so many years. She was so instrumental for advocating for the dancers. She said they only got one soft drink for to record two shows. I want y'all to think about that now. Two shows. They would record pretty much the whole day. And they would get one free damn slave master. (laughs) They would get one free soda. And, you know, she was advocating for better conditions, right? Or she said, you know, like the dancers would dance, the guys would do splits and stuff, and their pants would tear. There was no one around to sew them up. Like it was really, it was tough times, man. If you was a soul train dancer, you really went through some things. I'm telling you, that's all I can say. 
And she was very big on supporting that piece and making sure those dancers were actually recognized. But so much of her, you see so much of her in, in Michael's dance. And Steve Knopper talked about this one when he was on our podcast. He actually talked to her and she talked about how influential and how, you know, the things they were doing there on Soul Train and some of the dance steps were so integrated into Michael, especially that robot, especially a lot of that, that locking mechanism because her dance partner was... Um, Don Campbell, who we know passed away not too long ago, and he was kind of the originator of that locking technique. She's a big influence on the dance of Michael Jackson. She actually has said many times, so let me also give her this, she has choreographed the Grammy, she has worked with Whitney Houston, she is not a lightweight, and um, she actually is someone who, if you are in the dance space, you definitely have probably heard of. The greater community may not have, but if you're in dance, you probably have heard of her. And she has said she does not feel that they get enough credit. And I think this goes to some of what you were saying, Dr. Green. A lot of artists who are behind the scenes, but doing heavy lifting on the influence of of the main artists just don't get seen, really, and given their due recognition. Yeah, and it looks like what she worked with Dick Clark on uh, American Bandstand. I mean, I know that was a feat getting those white people to stop doing the twist and whatever all they was doing on that show. That show was very vanilla. <laughs> but she was, I mean, obviously she was, <laughs> she was obviously a very, um, very influential, not only on, on Michael, but just the dance culture as a whole. Everybody watched Soul Train. Yeah, I I knew... Soul Train, and I remember seeing video of her on Soul Train, but I had no idea that's what her name was. So um, I'm probably in that bucket with a couple listeners who just put a name to that face today. Right. The Mechanical Man, I believe that's what it was called when they were doing the robot. It was the Mechanical Man until it became known as the robot. But yeah, she's a big name in that space. And I believe American Bandstand was like the white response to Soul Train. It was kind of like the majority response. Yeah. Yeah, So no sprinkles, Mm -hmm. no nuts, no nothing. Just vanilla. (laughs) Not no nuts. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Janet went and told us about the key to the animal cages. (laughs) Soul Train (laughs) may very well did to these dancers what Elvis Presley did to uh, black musicians, you know, uh, by not Mm -hmm. giving them their, uh, you know, just credit and, Really, if you think about it, kind of what social media like TikTok now is doing to the black dancers who, who are creating these, if you ask, ask me, I'll, I'll go as far as to use the word iconic, you know, dance trends and everything as well. You know, like they'll create it, they'll do it, they'll post their video, their video may only just get a few clicks, a white person comes across it do the exact same thing that that person who created, it, you know, that dance was doing the video and all of a sudden it takes off. They're not just like they're not giving just credit where credit is due. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And that, you know, a tale as old as time. Things come out of one community and then kind of engulfed by a majority and reappropriated as if it is it originated here. And it's like, oh, well, no. It just it just keeps on rolling. So it's important for us to reach back and acknowledge these people. And Demita Jo Freeman is still out here. She's still talking about her time in Soul Train. She is still actually a big thing. Um, and so we definitely want to give her her flowers. All right, let's talk about another group that I think a lot of people know something about. And that is the Nicholas Brothers. Fayard, it's Fayard, right? Fayard, Fayard Nicholas and Harold Nicholas. I think it's I said Fayard, Fayard, right? Fayard. Fayard. 
Don't don't put the act. The accent doesn't go over the yard. It's just fared. Yard is not there. Fared. Fared. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fared <laughs> was born in Alabama, and Harold was actually born in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Fared was born in 1914, and Harold in 1921. And these these young bucks, I'm tell you what. So they came from a musical background. Their parents were musicians. Their mother was a pianist their father, a drummer. They actually ended up growing up inside of Philadelphia. And because they grew up around music, they saw a lot of Black vaudeville acts from back in the day, including Bilbo Jangles. And they learned from these dancers and these performers how to dance and entertain. They were not formally taught, but oh my Lord, they have got some culture, some super uh, memorable moments. What comes to mind is the that high step and what they call the acrobatic, the acrobatic dancing they did in um, uh, stormy, stormy weather, weather right? Stormy weather, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, stormy weather where they did. I mean, everybody knows those scenes where they're just. I mean, it's insane. Like the way they dance, they is were really. The, that's young. the movie when they were on the stairs. They did the stairs dance number. And they were coming down the steps and jumping over each other. And what if y'all haven't seen that, please go watch it. It is just unbelievable. That's the word. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there's some high steppers for sure. And these young bucks got their start way early in life. 1932, they became a featured act in the Cotton Club in Harlem, New York. Harold was 11, just 11 years old. Can you imagine? And Fayard was 18 and they performed there for two years. that, That fact alone reminded me of Michael Jackson. And it reminded me that Michael is not unique in that way that very young Black performers were performing in some very adult spaces at very, very young ages in the name of their talent. And these guys were super talented. And I'm sure, like I said, many in the fan community have seen them. If you haven't yet, you got to go to YouTube. Like after you listen to this, go to YouTube and see these guys because they are phenomenal. What do you guys know about Fared and Harold, the Nicholas brothers? What comes to mind when you think of it? Don't say Dorothy Dandridge. Go. Dang, I was going to say Dorothy. (laughs) Smooth Criminal is what comes to my mind. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, and I mean, being the Michael fan that I am, I was actually on YouTube and I come across the video. I don't know the name of it, but anyways, it's pretty much a side-by-side comparison of what the Nicholas brothers were doing compared to what Michael Jackson did in the Smooth Criminal video. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's quite uncanny, a lot of the similarities that, um, you know, the Nicholas brothers would do compared to what Michael would be doing in the videos. And if anyone hasn't seen that video, just go to your YouTube machine, type out Michael Jackson um, and the Nicholas brothers or the Nicholas brother and Michael Jackson. And uh, I think you'll see that side by side. I remember it being a relatively short video, maybe about five minutes or something like that. Like give or take a minute or so. The first, as soon as I read the Nicholas brothers, the first thing that came to my mind was that video was smooth criminal. So I think you guys will be pleasantly surprised and maybe even shocked in some cases at how much the Nick, you know, the Nicholas brothers influenced smooth criminal. And that is my favorite Michael Jackson video. She said, don't say Dorothy Dandridge. I'm going to go ahead and say Dorothy. No, Dandridge. I said, no, I, I just said it. Go ahead. Okay. It's been said. Harold, mm-hmm. 
was her husband, I do believe. <laughs> uh, and um, and they had a little girl named Harlan. Okay. And we're not going to get into how he treated that that lady so that she ran to that white man. But anyway. Don't do it. We're going to stay on. We're going to keep it positive. It. We're keeping it positive. Okay. I, I think about, so I think Harold was actually in the Temptations movie play, portraying Charlie Atkins. No. Was it Harold or Faye? Was the, one of the Nicholas brothers, I do believe, was the one who who was portraying um Charlie. I Atkins. thought that was in um Oh no, that I got was nothing in the but love heartbeat. for you, baby. Yeah, That's I thought right. he was in that. Harold was 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 uh, he was the dancer in that the dance like, instructor yeah. in the fight. You right, you right. They were like, they were like, the what, this, mixed up. what this old man gonna teach us? And he was like, hold my hat. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he, he was like, shit, shit up. Yeah, that was I think that was Harold who was in that um teaching dress because Dresser, it was Dresser that had an attitude talking about it, he said Dresser always teach us to dance moves and he was like, Is that all you got? That ain't bleep. <laughs> anyway, yeah, y'all said, I watched too shit. many of these movies. Mm-hmm. But um no, the Nicholas brothers, like I said, their spot in Stormy Weather, which let me make this very clear. If you've never watched Stormy Weather from from top to bottom. It is definitely worth a watch. Lena Horne is in it. She is absolutely incredible. She looks beautiful. And she sings Stormy Weather, uh, which is, I think, one of her most iconic uh, songs. They Their spot in the movie is almost, if I remember the story correctly, it wasn't originally in the film. They wanted the Nicholas Brothers to do something because one of the producers of the film had seen them perform at the Cotton Club. And so they added their scene to Stormy Weather. And so with them performing, and it's the it's called like the stair dance or the stair scene or something. You can YouTube that. It is one of the most incredible things that you can ever see. You don't even know that two humans can, they move as one. They really do. And they knew each other so well that it almost is like, how do you even know where the other dude is? But they were just that good together as a unit. I could definitely see Michael being influenced by them because a lot of their moves were tap, but they also were just regular street moves. And a lot of Michael's moves, he would throw in some classical with a little ballet step with maybe a pirouette here. You know what I mean? So it was kind of the same thing that Michael did. Absolutely incredible duo. And they totally deserve to be on this list. Yeah. And just a little an an aside. Apparently they taught Michael and Janet tap dance. So that's amazing. So everybody, I think on like online, a lot of videos are going around of Michael tapping. And sometimes I feel like people think he just taught himself. It's like, no, somebody, somebody helps. Michael had a great memory. Speaking of Charlie Atkins said Marlon Jackson had a photographic dance step memory. So shout out to Marlon Jackson. Marlon got beat because he won't keep enough. He need and almost got put out the group. Marlon said, I know how to pay attention. Marlon said, what I'm not going to do is get put out this group. (laughs) <laughs> but marlon michael i mean just amazing dancers janet in the mix too learning from these titans in black america and in greater america obviously something where there's a very one of the biggest probably black all black movie casts period um and so much of black america's movies were lost destroyed not preserved this is one that was very big one and so that's why you get all this great footage that came from it amazing dancers 
highly influential to the Jacksons, definitely Michael and Janet. And we'll talk a little bit more how that influence shows up again in some of Janet's work uh, when we get to her and, and her musical influence on her brother. But let's move on to a woman who I feel like does not get enough like direct conversation. And that is Fatima Robinson, who is the choreographer for Michael Jackson's Remember the Time video that everybody loves to talk about, Remember the Time. And she's the mastermind behind those dance moves. She was born, she actually shares the same birthday as Michael Jackson, just in a different year, August 29th, 1971, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And at a very young age, moved with her mom and her sisters to Los Angeles, California. She is, I don't know that we can, like, she might be the most, you know, Janet aside, prolific person on this list she's done so i mean i couldn't put how much she's done i had to just kind of abbreviate it um and all of that work and all of the things we have enjoyed from her stem from her work first her first big job was that michael jackson gig what do you guys know about fatima robinson classy very classy woman and what i love most about fatima is she was not afraid to keep the blackness in her choreography. And that is just something that, I mean, I admire so much. Uh, outside of that, I don't know much about her personal life or anything, but, um, you know, nonetheless, she, she, she she's a classy woman. Let's talk about some of the things she did. We got Remember the Time, Rock the Boat, Aaliyah, My Humps, The Black Eyed Peas, Save the Last Dance. She choreographed Save the Last Dance and dream girls uh she did the Wiz live that showed back in 2015 she did the academy awards super bowl Woo. uh the harder they fall y'all seen that on netflix and coming to america too which y'all act like y'all couldn't wait to have in your uh, eyeballs y'all just wanted to see that dog come to america too she choreographed that too <laughs> she I has done that. so many people <laughs> Y'all could not wait. When is it coming out? I mean, she was in that too. So, I mean, uh, that's not even all of it. Like, that's just, I just put some. It's crazy. Her body of work is insane. And again, it starts with Michael Jackson. Listen, I, I look on TikTok now and all the people that are going back doing the choreo from Remember the Time. We talked about Remember the Time in depth in our MJ's Blackest Moments podcast. If you haven't listened to that, go back and take a listen to that. But this was, she was the blackity black, black, black behind that blackity black, black, black video. Okay. She had everybody tutting. She had Michael sitting on that. What was that a war show? He didn't even dance because allegedly he had, what did he have a spider bite or something? I don't, I don't remember which time that was. Oh, no, not but another spider bite. <laughs> NAACP. It was NAACP. The NAACP yeah. Awards. That's right. He was sitting there on that throne, not dancing, but he was tutting, right? But she gave us tutting before we knew what tutting was. I mean, she was just innovative, and she's absolutely beautiful, brilliant, and I am so happy she's on this list because if you say, remember the time, other than Diana Ross, I think about the choreography. And that's thanks to Fatima. Thank you, Fatima. Y'all, she was 21 when she did that, which is crazy. That was like, she, before she did Michael, she was doing like Heavy D and the Boys. She was doing like a lot of hip hop, like, you know, R&B artists. So when John Singleton called her, she was she was like, huh? He was like, I need some help with Michael Jackson. 
And so she was a big fan, like everybody was, right? Like she was just a big fan. And so it was just a phenomenal, she said she had never choreographed that many people at one time, so much so that it got so overwhelming. She said she went to the bathroom during the taping, like during the shoot, she said so many people were coming to me with questions and I just got overwhelmed. And I went to the bathroom, she said, and I just had a cry. And then I said, okay, you got to go out here and you got to do it. And she went out there and she did it. Spoken like every black woman on the planet. Man, listen, listen how many times <laughs> that I had to go to the bathroom, cry, get myself together and, and come on go back. out there and do it. And let's do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she and she did it. And the whole thing was John Singleton was like, Michael needs to learn some new dance moves. And that's the part I want to talk about really quickly. Michael Jackson was, th- was 35 years old. So you think about like a Chris Brown, right? Right now in his career, there are, there are dancers and people doing what you do who are much younger. You have to continue to, to learn, right? You're not old. You're not ancient by any stretch of the imagination, but you are more seasons than your career. You have to continue to evolve. And I'm so glad Michael allowed himself to, evolve and to be a a learner from someone who was 21 years old and had never he could have easily said uh like charlie atkins said right you don't have no experience at this level you don't have no you're not credentialed enough you're not like no i don't want that and michael was like if you bringing her in i'm down fatima's style is so dynamic that she went from michael jackson to Aaliyah to like you said dream girls so Fatima is a stakeholder in the dance community that can never be moved. She has proven herself over and over again. She's just a fire-ass dancer to this day. And think about how they created that dance break in Remember the Time to showcase the choreography. Like, literally was like, hmm, that's like Usher in the um, Love in the Club video like he created a dance break so he could do whatever thing he was doing he was like sliding on the floor and stuff they created a dance break to showcase the dancing for Fatima amazing he's the one y'all she brings Michael Jackson into the 90s super hard he's here like he's still the guy right she really yeah she brings him to a whole new generation whole new generation that's listening to him and now or maybe started to listen to him I remember when I was young you know, my older sister, who is 10 years older than me, this is what was on her boombox. Like, this is what was on the r and This is what was on the hip-hop stations. It wasn't necessarily black or white, but it was this. And this video was such a big part of why these kids in the early 90s, these teenagers, were vibing to Michael Jackson and remembering and renewing themselves to his music. He had to continue to reinvent. He just couldn't be static because time would pass him by. But Tima helped keep him t- current in a time when, okay, you're transitioning into a new era. She definitely is a big part of that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, another dancer who I know. If you tell me you knew this guy, then you you really deep in the matrix because I didn't know this guy. Michael Chambers, also known as Boogaloo Shrimp, born in 1967 in California. He a was a character in the movie Breaking and Breaking Two. The character Turbo. This from an, an early '80s movie. Came out in '84. I have actually never seen this movie. I have no idea. Oh my god! <laughs> You've never seen Breaking. Never. Seen I was about this to say movie. you shouldn't have said that out loud. I mean, oh it's the truth. I've, I have right absolutely. So, Doctor Green, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, she hasn't heard Pink Floyd, The Wall. 
No. Uh, has never finished a full Beatles album. And oh, no. Learning, you've never seen Breaking. No. I have no, no idea what this is. Okay. What is this? First of all, the Beatles reference was completely unnecessary. I've not heard a full Beatles album either, and I'm proud. Okay, well, we'll put yourself in that box then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a comfortable box. I'm not going to listen I'm to I'm not, right. I'm not Michael listening. Jackson wasn't in that box. I'm just saying. He was, in, he was also in some boxes I ain't in. So Ooh. that's that. I think I've only listened <laughs> to two Beatles albums, and that's it. Like, I mean, they're overrated. I- I'm sorry. Oh, correct. I- sorry, mm-hmm. I told yeah, you, I think I you correct. had to be there. You had to be there because us from here, we don't understand. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't I, see it. I, I, I get a little bit of it, but you're you're not going to find any Beatles hardcore fans on this podcast. That's for sure. Jaden. But you should have seen Breaking. I, I actually I, don't I know what this Beatles. is. I, I can imagine what it's about, but I don't know. Go ahead. Y'all, y'all tell Crush me. Girl? You seen Crush Groove? Have I seen Crush Groove? Oh, that's how I know you haven't seen oh my that. God. Okay, Isn't and let that me no idea what that is either. Let me stand up for e? my sister. I have not seen any of these as well. No idea what you're talking about. Y'all not I, coming for my sister. My, my mama was listening to 20. Shirley Caesar. Gospel. Yeah, not mine. The, not my yeah, mind. We're no, going the Canton Spirit. You gotta know. Uh-uh. Now yeah. my daddy is Lee a, Williams. He loves a gospel quartet, but let me be clear, they were definitely going to the <laughs> to these shows. <laughs> Breaking and Dr. Green, you can add to this. Breaking, much like Crush Groove, was a formative movie for hip hop where it put it was one of the it, it was actually the first movie to put hip hop in front of uh, mainstream America. And more importantly, breakdancing. <laughs> yes, specifically. <laughs> that makes sense because it's in the name. Yeah, yeah. It is, buddy. I can't believe you missed that. It, I so mean, so you know who this guy is, then. Michael Chambers. I know who Turbo yeah. is. Okay. Therefore, All right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you know who he is. Yes. That's yeah. him. Well, Dr. Green <laughs> is I, I know somebody from from Breaking passed away recently. Was Turbo did Turbo pass away or is Turbo still? No. I think it, he out here. Uh, yeah, no, t- uh, Turbo's still around, but I think it was, um, I forget. Oh, God. The light-skinned dude from Breaking. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, and I can't I think, think of him. his name. But yeah, yes. somebody definitely passed it, probably within the last two to three years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a really important movie movie in uh, pop culture. So I hope y'all get to see that. It used to come on VH1 all the time. I think you guys will enjoy it if you watched it. If you watch Breaking, yeah. like, I mean, it may be a little corny, but I mean, the movie wasn't going for any Oscars or anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, it is worth your time. You won't regret it. You'll probably even laugh. And like Crush Groove, uh, didn't I have Sheila E in there? Or, or yeah. am I tripping? Yeah. No, it Sheila did. E. Sheila she was e. like, yes. she was yes. really the main character. But I think it's really important to note, like, as far as breakdancing is concerned, I'm not going to say Michael Jackson saw these and bit from them, but a little bit because the dance break that you get in bad I don't think you get that without breaking especially like the way Michael trended towards you know a harder look the full leather get up folks in there with the gazelles on and calling them out the kangos I think that energy found its way back to Michael and that's you know really he he embedded like that the hood storyline that he read in the paper that actually happened he basically flipped into the the storyline for the short film bad but you can you can tell that Michael at least saw a piece of breaking and or crush groove and was like okay this is where it's going I'm not getting left behind and and again like 
he could keep up with their dance moves, you know, just as well as somebody from Brooklyn or, or the Bronx. So really formative piece of art. Turbo even moonwalks in that movie, in both movies, as I recall it. So I definitely know he moonwalks in the first one. I think he moonwalks in the second one, too. <laughs> There's this particular scene in Turbo where, I mean, uh, uh, in Breaking, where he's dancing with a broom. I love that. <laughs> dancing? <laughs> when he's sweeping the outside the of the storefront. You remember that? Like, I love that scene. Listen, you guys, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I'll put it on. I'll probably fall asleep. I yeah, saw I Purple Rain it. for the first time in college, so there's that. For the yeah, first time? Damn. Now, mm-hmm. I've seen Purple Rain. Okay, that was the, the first acting time I is terrible, but the music. Yeah, oh. I was a sophomore, and my homeboy, we watched it, and that was the first time I saw it. He, I was like, I, I, mean, I don't know. I wasn't into print, so there was that. I was into Michael. Prince was very pretty in Purple Rain. He was. He was very, very. But to move on, Michael Chambers. Michael Chambers, which to your point, user two, Michael may have seen Breaking, or he just might have got this stuff from Michael Chambers, who calls himself Michael Jackson's, uh, what do you call himself? Michael Jackson's official pop lock instructor. I don't know what he called himself. But at any rate, he had the opportunity to work with Michael he met him after at a, at a Lionel Richie show. He was working with Lionel Richie on some music videos. He met Michael Jackson and he says that he helped Michael develop his style of floating and liquid animation robotic dance, which just a did you know point led to him being the Urkelbot in the TV show Family Matters. So he actually was the, the guy in the Urkelbot suit doing those moves on a couple of episodes. But he says he taught Michael from the mid 80s. He says, if you look at Michael's Motown performance and then you look at what he was doing on the Victory Tour after he started working with Michael, there's a marked, a very distinct difference in Michael's dance style and his steps and that he credits to his work with Michael Chambers. And I believe him. there actually is a big difference. And this guy was a really good dancer. And he, he, he tries to give credit where it's due. He's like, listen, I wasn't from the East coast. That's not how I moved. I was from the West coast. We had a different way, but we incorporated some things they were doing. And so when I worked with Michael, it was all this incorporation. He is not shy about talking about how he influenced Michael Jackson's dance to this day. Uh, we'll put in the show notes, his video where he spends about five minutes talking about how he influenced Michael Jackson from the dancing. He's also like, listen, remember how I was looking in this breaking and breaking too? And y'all, y'all seen the movie. He says Michael was influenced stylistically in his style, also in the way he wore his clothes by some of what was happening with his character in breaking and breaking too. Is that true? I can see it being true. I mean, I don't think anyone is going to be able to confirm that. Uh, but I could see that being true. But what we know, one thing for certain with Michael is that when asked, he's always credited the streets, you know, with like, per se, when he's asked about the moonwalk, he said he got it from the streets. I mean, he's not lying uh, because these dancers, guess where they were from? The streets. And so, you know, like, uh, you know, that could very well be true based off of Michael saying that alone and hearing this now. I mean, you know, Unfortunately, I don't think, uh, you know, it can be independently confirmed, but, you know, I, I believe it. Let's give Michael Chambers I his little, a little bit. His, his, you can see it? A little bit, only because, he, I mean, he was wearing leather jackets. Let's be clear. Yeah, he said that's what he said. 
But yeah, he I said mean, bad. If he's talking weird. about the nerd yeah. transition between Billy Jean and Beat It, like totally understand. But let's not play the boy. He had a nice crisp leather jacket before then. I'm sure he just took it. He decided he was going to go boots down and put on 25 belts. That's where the change came. Well, I can definitely see the biggest transition between you think about Motown 25, the first time Michael did Billy Jean and did the moonwalk. And then you think about, and I mean, and it was, it was a big deal for the time, but very underwhelming for Michael, right? Michael said he remembers running off and crying because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't perfect. And then you think about Michael on tour doing, doing Billie Jean. And I want to say he did Billie Jean during the victory tour. You think about how much sharper it was. And Michael Chambers actually talks about this, how much sharper it was. He does the, the kind of the gliding in a circle and all the things that he does. And Michael Chambers is like, I taught him that we worked on that. And I can believe that because Michael wasn't happy with his Motown 25 performance. We look back at it and we're like, Oh my God. But Michael didn't love it. So there's the correlation. We definitely could see that Michael's choreography changed a bit, got crisper. And Michael Chambers said that was him. And I don't have a reason to not believe that, man. I think you're right. We're going to give Michael Chambers, a.k.a. AKA Boogaloo Shrimp. He said he was a small man, like five foot five. So maybe that's why he called him Shrimp. I was going to say, where's, what's the Boogaloo from? Girl, what don't ask questions. I don't know. Anybody know? He used to do like this vibration type of a thing. I don't know if he named that the Boogaloo, but the Boogaloo. I think that had. Yeah, I think the entire name of the film Breaking had the word Boogaloo somewhere in the title at one point as well. So, uh, you know, that's, I think it kind of uh, come from that as well. Yeah, we need some hip hop heads to. Right, we need some reference here. Boogaloo. Boogaloo. He also did choreography for Do the Bart Man with the Simpsons and Paula Abdul's opposites attract. I'm sorry. What fucking Why are we talking about there Paula? to do? You talking about on the show, the Simpsons? I guess he did it. Uh, I don't listen. It's on his website. We got to bring him on here. He, he may have had to do like the cartoons got to be choreographed. Had to do. You ain't Remember? seen Aladdin. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Where they okay. sketch out whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they need to, they need somebody to be there standing. <laughs> and we're not gonna mention Paula Abdul no more. So let's continue. All right, let's close it on up. <laughs> Our last influence of Michael Jackson. I'm gonna kick it to user 1.5 and Dr. Green. Y'all take it away. The last dance influence for Michael Jackson is none other than his very own baby sister, Miss Janet Demita Joe Jackson. Of course, Janet was born May 16th, 1966, and she is child number 10, the youngest of the Jackson family. Janet began performing in 1974 at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas with her brothers. She continued on on her own path. Um, after that, she was in various TV shows, Good Times, Different Strokes, Fame, and she has had I don't even know the word for it. A, a massive, phenomenal, out of this world music career as well. I'm going to kick it over to Dr. Green because he is our special guest. Dr. Green, talk to the people about Janet Jackson and how she influenced her brother with dance. Janet Jackson is an inspiration to to everyone, actually, who, you know, even watched her. and. You know, that would include her brother, Michael, as well. We have to remember what Michael said at his 1993 
uh, speech when he was accepting the Grammy Living Legend Award, I think is the name of it. Um, and he said, or he revealed then, uh, he said he used to pretend to be Fred Astaire and Janet used to pretend to be Ginger Rogers. Now, we know that Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are also both dancers and so on and so forth. A, a lot of, you know, the stepping that Michael would do was influenced by Fred himself. And And just to think of those two being young. Now, this is, you know, like this is when Janet was still young. But just to think of those two being young, competing against one another, pretending to, you know, be... You know, are people that they uh, looked up to, you know, you know, they went back and forth, you know, like, I mean, we did whenever we were kids. I mean, you know, like whenever we were kids and we mimicked uh, dancing that uh, were, you know, that was hot of the time or that we seen in the music video, you know, we would go back and forth like, oh, no, you're a little stiff with that. This is how you really do it. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, it's something that... um, I think her influence with Michael predates Rhythm Nation. It predates off the wall, you know, um, obviously, and, you know, it continued. And then we would learn, you know, uh, later on, uh, the filming of Captain EO, where Janet was also working on uh, Rhythm Nation, or, or they wanted to do something that mimicked, you know, military moves, or that was, you know, very, you know, like, you know, one, two type of thing or what have right. you. And that's what we got in Rhythm Nation. And that's what mm-hmm. Michael gave us in Captain EO. Michael talks about a conversation that he had with Janet too at this time. And, you know, he was like, I forget who was going to do theirs first or whatever. I forget the order, but, you know, ultimately it came down to, ultimately, it, you know, it ended up being, you know, they were like, okay, you go ahead and you do it. I think Janet, can someone look up the date? I think Janet yeah. did Nation before. Yeah, Captain Janet Kino. Janet actually asked Michael. So That's they had been working That's on it. it together, the kind of okay. military thing. Janet asked yeah. Michael if she could, if she if she could use it. He said he reluctantly said yes. And then he later said, I could have killed her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure did. He sure did. Because rhythm base was, was everything. It, it was. was. It really was. I mean, and if you think about, so we're gonna skip Janet's first two albums because uh, yeah. she acts like they don't exist. So we're gonna pretend like they don't mm-hmm. exist. But once you hit control in 1986, mm-hmm. and the the musicality of control but also the the visual the visuals of control and then rhythm nation really took it to the next level you could definitely tell that michael and janet rehearsed together they danced together they you know what i mean you could see Mm -hmm. the influence across the board for the two of them i think you kind of start merging they start kind of merging away from each Mm -hmm. other after maybe scream um, and that was in what ninety six, uh, so I think they start kind of merging away from each other because Janet went on nasty Janet run, and I just mm. love it. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Velvet Rope is my favorite Janet album, but yeah, what we get out of Janet and Michael is also friendly competition as well. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest with ourselves here, Michael felt pressured. He felt like, okay, all right, uh, you know, Janet Jackson, you know, like, you know, there was a little pressure there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it was She was applying it. Yeah, she was. Now, there was some pressure there. And Michael was, you know, he was going to, he was going to give it back. He was, and he did. A lot of the times he did. So, you know, I was fondly glad 
you know, when they got together, uh, you know, during Scream or what have you, and, you know, they oh, yeah. released that video. And we all know the, you know, they had a blast on set or what have you whenever they were dancing. Mm-hmm. I know what Janet said in her documentary was that they were, uh, you know, trying to keep them apart or whatever, whenever they went on camera and stuff like that. But when the cameras were going, they were having a blast. Yeah. They were having fun. And, and they both ate <laughs> on that dance sequence. I know. They we did. We they did. did the, uh, uh, we did an episode with the Janet Jackson pod. Uh, I listened to it about two years ago, mm-hmm. and you know, I think we chose that as the best uh, dance sequence for my for Michael and Janet. They didn't agree, but <laughs> but we <laughs> but but I mean, really, they both ate on that dance sequence. It was the perfect collaboration for the two of them to do together because no one overshadowed the other they, i don't know i think janet may have ate him a little bit you she think got so? him. i she, think, I janet think she may got ate him. him a little yeah. bit well this is where janet gets me in that video it's not with the vocals obviously but in that video when <laughs> when janet was not obviously i mean it is dude, listen let's be honest he we turn real her down we really okay. no right. it's because janet's vocals are not, not going to be as strong as michael's ever but I mean, that's what recently uh jimmy uh, jim jam and terry said as well you know yeah, they said that's not that. a thing they're yeah. never going to be as strong as michael but in the video this is my favorite part of the video it's actually i have two favorite parts the first part is when she's like oh my god i can't believe what i saw and she's sitting there mm-hmm. in that kind of zen zen stance but yep. also when she got on that toilet and was standing over it <laughs> Like she was about to. I was oh, like, I Janet that. is a thug. Okay, you hear me? Janet is that a thug. That turned me on so much. Like, I mean, <laughs> okay, I don't know what it was. This is like, you stand over that toilet and then she looked back over her shoulder. I'm like, what? Okay. All right, Janet. I like that. <laughs> Janet's a thug, honey. I said, okay, <laughs> Janet is a a thug. She needs to have thug life cross her stomach like Tupac, okay? <laughs> so, like, that, I mean, but she definitely, you can see that the two of them were running parallel paths. Mm, they were. As, I, as I mean, at that point in time, at that point in time, it was definitely paralleled. The allegations that had happened at this point in time, so it was kind of a, a downward slope for Michael, unfortunately. But for Janet, she was still on her upward slope. And, uh, you know, it, it was like those two slopes met right there in the middle for Scream. Mm-hmm. And we got what we got. And I loved what we got. Yeah. And Janet gave us, prior to Scream, she gave us Rhythm Nation, 19, I'm sorry, 1814, excuse me. Uh, that is six times certified platinum. After Rhythm Nation, we got Janet in 1993, which is also six times certified platinum. I mean, she is a freaking powerhouse. She and Michael together is something that we had not seen up to that point, a brother and sister duo. And it's something that we, I don't think we will ever see again. And can I just say this about Janet as well on a serious note? Janet is by far my most, I mean, she's my favorite female artist. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that, you know, like in the vocal category or stage performance or anything like that. What I simply mean by that is she is my favorite artist she got in the studio and she worked and if i can compliment her on anything at all it will be her harmonies which are second to none janet's harmonies are absolutely phenomenal Mm. and if you listen to her songs you don't hear harmonies like that in any music today 
You don't hear, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, the only other person doing harmonies like that was Michael himself. And right. you know, I mean, with Michael being gone, you know, like we're not getting that today. And, you know, that's why she needs to release some music because I mean, I'm going through some, you know, withdrawals about those harmonies because she, <laughs> listen, y'all ain't getting none. Y'all barely got this last little tour. I thought she was going <laughs> to leave y'all on red, but she, I guess she's going to give y'all some, but um, <laughs> I don't know if she's going to get an album. <laughs> I don't know about all that. She gave you Black Diamond. She said that that's it. Jen, if Jenna listened to this, she's going to say, first of all, now Taj didn't say he never had my cooking. <laughs> and I, and and I now, believe him. And I believe him. <laughs> no, she she is, she is, no, she's, I mean, there's, there's no category. You can't box her into anything. And it's so clear Michael got so much from her. When I watched All Right, the All Right video, which of course uh, we said the Nicholas Brothers were going to come back in this. Fayard and Harold are in that video along with Cab Calloway and they're dancing. If you haven't noticed them, go back and watch. So she pays big respect to these guys that came before her in that video. But as soon as that video hits, I just feel like Michael said, like when he said, oh, I could kill you. Ain't know he said about her when she uh, yeah, did. Yeah, he uh, mad about that, that. She got military. some stuff that's super tough that I know now, he, he watching claims she and stole going, wow. the military from him. He claims <laughs> that she's that he didn't tell her she could do it. She went and did it anyway. And that because she had already done it, he, he kind of had to fall said, back. That's my sister and I love her, so it's fine. Yeah, no, but she is, if anyone had to maybe make him say, okay, I got to get better and do better. I think the ascent of Janet Jackson was one of those moments where he said, oh, okay, my little sister is like legit. Yeah, especially after those first two albums didn't really hit. He probably was like, "Eh, okay, you know, whatever. But once Control came through, he was paying attention. Another phenomenal and undeniable influence on Michael Jackson's feet, his dance steps, one of his many teachers, his little sister, Janet Demita Joe Jackson. And y'all, I think that's it. We could go on and on, but we've done enough. This has been Dr. Green. Thank you for joining us. Thank you once so again. much. We're going to have you back. If you'll, if you'll be back, we're going to have you back. You're welcome. I would love to come back. And um, we are able to have this conversation because of his blackness. As Michael Jackson's skin got lighter, his music got blacker. Don't at me on that. Just, you know, <laughs> I mean, listen to at what I'm her, at, at the Black Jackson estate, because she liked to fight. So, at, <laughs> yeah, you at, don't want at, to at Dr. Green, too. Anybody's going to argue that point, Dr. Green. I think that's just a fact. Well, you'll be surprised. You'll yeah, be surprised for people. A lot of people still believe that Michael Jackson's peak blackness is thriller and it's not. Yeah. It's no. just not. I mean, the Jerry Curl is a good place to start, but that yeah. fundamentally had nothing to do with it. Yes. And once we hit right. they don't care about us, we already knew what was happening then. Oh yeah. The jail oh, version. Yeah. You know, the prison yes. version. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about it. I mean, when <laughs> when they ready to talk about it, let's talk about it because I'll be right back. We definitely you know? have had people tell us we were racist for taking in this angle and we just laughed um so um well, it's so let needed. them say what they have to say because ultimately when we're done with them they're going to understand that well their comments to you are racist once mm-hmm. we're done mm-hmm. so 
This has been another episode, season five, episode one. Oh boy, y'all ain't ready for the rest of the season. You can't even handle this one. It's too hot to handle. The Black Jackson Estate Podcast. Thank you so much to Dr. Green. And thank you so much to Taj Jackson for joining us. Listen, drop us some comments at Dr. Green, at the Black Jackson Estate, at Taj Jackson. We want to hear what you think about this podcast. What did you like? What did you not like? What made you go, "Uh uh-uh? What made you go, that's what I'm talking about. I'm glad that somebody said that. We want to hear from you. Check us out and we will see you on the very next episode dropping in March. Check out our Patreon too. Y'all they ain't you. ready. They ain't they ready. Not ready. Nah, they not ready. Yeah.